Blog Talk Radio. The Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute, integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Now, on with the show. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. Peter, there's no better angle for sure uh, than the one from behind. Reeves. All this travel and playing and priorities have been really getting in the way of our relationship. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great size. It's the Net Live right now. 14th of January. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Net Live. Kevin Barnett sitting in what is a crowded, again, home court. We've had to strip Jeremy of any voice at all in this program. He is reduced to the computer, so if no, somebody gets muted, you know why. No clipper talk. No clipper talk. Thank God. Chris McGee might bring up the Lakers, although that's a touchy subject. And then we have Dustin Aval. He's, he's, he's ensconced in the couch. Loving the situation four, over here. 14 pillows. This is the biggest pillow I've ever seen. It's... <laughs> Made for a six foot seven inch man, and I'm only about six foot two on a good day. So feeling... yeah, let's not go to six two. Come on. <laughs> so welcome to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. We are endeavoring this year to plan our guests a little bit better, and it's working out this week. I don't get an introduction. I said Chris McGee. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah I was You're Chris saying. McGee of Time Warner Cable, which is not available in Phoenix. Just so you know, so you don't have to get on my case anymore about yeah, not listening to your broadcast. Didn't really like your attitude on that email. I turned it on in Phoenix. They were down by 35 or whatever, and I heckled you. Anyways, here's our program for today. It is more volleyball related than I think we've been recently. Dave Williams, USAVB at USAV Beach, is going to join us to talk about the state of beach, his national team programming, and what we can expect for 2013. Should be an interesting conversation. We also have Terry Pettit, legend who has been on this program before, built the Nebraska program into the germ of what it is today. Uh, built it into a powerhouse. So Terry Pettit has some opinions from last year as well as a new coaching DVD. They're starting a sand program, aren't they, out there? The Cornhuskers. They are. Big news this past week. Yeah. Also, Shannon Wells, she's going to be part of the new ABCA Coaches Corner. This will be kind of program tips, hints, viewpoints, guidance for a lot of you coaches out there, an opportunity to hear from some of the people in big programs, small programs, all kinds of different places in the world of volleyball about different topics. We're going to talk recruiting with Shannon Wells, and next week we'll have Denise Corlett to talk recruiting. Denise Corlett, of course, of Stanford. So we'll have a couple of views in the world of recruiting as a new part of the new ABCA Coaches Corner. And we will have ABCA College Volleyball Weekly with Mike and Jay fighting it out. You have a special volley talk segment? <laughs> we should. We should, based on some of the uh, usual lunacy going on over there. There's been... Uh, I, you know, I, I search that thing. I look and see what people are talking about. Mostly right now I just ignore it because it's job threads and this and that. Yeah. And the other thing, it's a bunch of speculation. But there was one that said rule change, clicked on it, 
And this now, this thing has gone seven pages. I could believe it was seven pages. It started out as somebody just asking for a clarification uh, as to what had happened with the rules for overhand service reception. Ever since I forgot my password six months ago, I haven't looked at their site. <laughs> so you could actually still be Geeter on there. Yeah, I just don't. I don't remember the password. And so there's kind of don't have time to look it up. There's don't this care whole anymore. discussion going on about how it's going to affect the game, and it's going back to old school. And I've seen this in like three or four other threads that people are saying you can no longer overhand serve receive. Here, is it, is it just in regards to serve receive, or is it first contact? They're talking about serve receive. That you, there, several people are purporting to there have is read no, the FIVB rule. There is no there, rule change. There is no. Rule yeah. Change. So what's the why are they having seven pages of... Because apparently they can't click on new window in their browser and go over the FIVB and read. And they keep posting. What's, what's hilarious is that other people will come in and post the actual rule from the FIVB, the change, uh-huh. and then somehow interpret that to mean that you can no longer overhand service hmm. What it says is that you can no longer fully double contact the ball. Like it's you used to be able to. Cleaning up yeah. the double contact rule in service reception. So they could call it tighter. You know how much it's going to change this year? Nothing. About zero. Yeah, My no. favorite is the folks that are on there going, I've talked to the national team coaches, and this is a big problem. You haven't talked to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, there's no such thing as national team coaches. There's national team coach at this point because you have Karch, who has no assistants, yeah. and you have no staff on the men's side. So maybe if, if you talk to the national team coach – that would mean you personally are speaking to Karch Karai and coming back here posting on Volley Talk. I'm going to put the odds of that at about zero. If you did that, you'd probably say, I talked I to, talk to Karch. Yeah. Exactly. Not national team coaches. There are no national team coaches, ladies and gentlemen. Karch is running the entire program. God. I used to have these same arguments with, with, with people on there. and I think I'm much happier now that I don't go on there. I miss it. I'm going to go back. I've got to remember my password. <laughs> B- Just start fights. BT bozos. Is that <laughs> <laughs> try try volley troll? Try yeah. that one. See how that works. Talk out. to length at length the Karch. I mean, the ten years ago, I think it was ten years ago, maybe maybe twelve years ago. Now, when I was in college, that's when these rules really came out and the big changes, right? Rally score and and let serves and the overhand contact, and that was yeah, a big deal. Overhand Romero. contact is 1995, my first year of college. Was that right? Yep. Rally score would be 1998 or so. In the, yeah, 99. 1998 for international, 99 for everybody else. But, yeah, the overhand service, Steve, I remember people, and this was in the infancy of the posting boards. There was one posting board. I don't know if it was volleyball I got a back then or what, you. but there was one posting board. They posted a picture of Marv Dunphy as Darth Vader and started <laughs> casting him as Darth Vader because we were using overhand service, Steve. Yeah, I, could, I, I absolutely I could remember pass, And Kodachi couldn't pass. Oh, Kodachi. So we would step up and hand it. I was standing on the 10-foot line passing everything. I have a stat for you. Yeah. My freshman year at Northridge was the first year of game fives being rally scoring. They used to be regular score, side-out score. Mm. And really? matches would go forever. So 1990 That's why was I don't the even first. Know that. And, wow. and 90. there was a cap at 17 for that year only. So That's we right. played SC in the regional. Mulholland. Yes, Ivy was hurt. Mulholland played. He had 54 kills or yeah. 44 kills or something. Never we got lost. More than six inches off the ground. Had 54 kills. No, it's Derosher. Derosher came in and had had 47 kills. The bull. 
they had they beat a 17-16 in the fifth at Northridge. The regional was at Northridge that year. Oh. Who knows how the Matadome got the regional? <laughs> they ended up winning the title that year. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I, and, and see, that's before I came to volleyball. I didn't come to volleyball until 92. Yeah. So I had no idea that, that the fifth game even used to yeah. be regular score. Only for one. So it was, yeah, it was regular scoring. And now they went to rally in the fifth. And uh, we were up 15-14. They went up 16-15. We, we missed a serve for 15. They scored. We sided out 16. We served. They sided out just a trickler through the block. And the match was over. Like this epic match just ended at 17-16. Like, uh, like the for, double and final. That was the last, last and only year of the cap at 17. So, for those of you out there that are, uh, you know, the volley zeeks that just absolutely love those staffs, there you go. 1990 in the Weva. That was the name, Weaver, that was right. the name the of the Weaver. conference. Jay Hossicle, remember that? It's the the Weva. I still call it the Weva, and so do my friends. And I still still think it's the greatest name, even though we became the MPSF. During my career, I still call it the Weave. I think the Weave was the greatest name ever. That's and we had a sponsor called Bula. <laughs> Northridge. We, were, we couldn't get ASICs. Bula? Yeah. What the heck was Bula? It was some sort of, sort of snowboarding company that John Price hooked up. So our short said Bula. We got a bag and like three shirts, and we just thought we got full swag. You didn't get outfitted it. by Bula. <laughs> Do we waste enough time there? Yeah, we're, we're about nine after ten, so we got a, that's a great segment. Let's go to break. And there <laughs> So there you have it, 1990 rally score to 15, yeah. cap at 17, 1995 overhand receive, and it's going to be the thing, I don't think we lost that match. Score. Like, for me, that match should still be going. It's still an open – they have not What's closed that? the book on that, yeah. right? That movie with Robin Williams when they get back together. And best of play, times. Best, that's what that you need to do. That is a great call. That would be God, epic. who wins that game now? I don't know, but the I would love to see Ivy, it. just get him rummed up. No, he, he can't play because he was out. Yeah. That's right. You he was hurt. To, you had to participate oh, in that match. Oh my God, we're going to win that match. If you were in that match, you have to be in the match. So you're going to cast Ivy and make Absolutely. him Absolutely, he's got to sit out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'll have Ralph Tolino, Coley Kaiman in the middle, Neil Kaufman. Whoa, Neil Kaufman. Man, he on the left, the guy named Mark hitter. Root. Kenny Lynch on the right. Remember he might name, smash yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> who had? Who had? They had Shepard and Perkins in the middle. Uh, I think Underwood was on that team for sure. Uh, yeah, a lot of guys. Decent Jim Kailu, I think. Hey, going Jean back, Kailu. going back in the history away, of volleyball. Big resignation this past week in the Big West. Kathy Gregory, UC Santa Barbara. Thirty-six she, years. Wow. She was there for sixty-seven years. <laughs> no, I've, she was there a long time. She's actually one hundred and fourteen years old. On, on, <laughs> Joe Lewis, one hundred thirty-seven years old. Malcolm, Clay, Malcolm Clay. Every time I start talking about boxing, <laughs> white man's got to pull Rock Mouse out right at the ass. Rock Mouse, it was good. Um, how long was she there, for real? I think it's 36 years. I gotta, I'll, we can look it up. Yeah, Greenbaum was Green Bomb, there. We yeah. go. Devaney. Leon Devaney. Wow. Kathy Gregory, legend of the beach game. Before, I mean, was she coaching at Santa Barbara at the same time she was winning open titles on the beach <laughs> in the summer? I mean, she won a lot of open titles. A lot. And uh, that is a appetizing job. Well, I hear two things about it. All right, 38 years. I don't know. 38 years. years. I mean, you think Santa Barbara is one of the greatest jobs of all time because of the location, because it's Santa Barbara. It's so hard to get in that system. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone who goes there is there forever. But I don't. it's not funded that well, I don't believe. Women's Beach Player of the Year, 76, 77, 78, 81, and 83. Captured two world championships and became only the third woman enshrined to the Volleyball Hall of Fame in 1989. But I have to think everyone 
and their mom would be going for that job, right? I mean, I, I Everybody. think. Justin Aval just put in his. I mean, when you want that job? I'm looking right now. Yeah. All I know is in the men's world, and you guys will back me on this. We've always said, "How do you not win natties at UCSB?" Man, I mean, if you're a guy, they came close. Just get them on ago. one road trip. I know, but I'm just saying. Like, I think when we all play, it was just that was always what was said. Like, how can they? Because you go there, you go to. They were up two zero on SC back yeah. in the uh, late eighties, and you'd be like, "Wow, this place is awesome." They'd pack them in. I remember going to watch to the Thunderdome, Santa Barbara, yeah, the Thunderdome. and Hawaii. In 95. Or Rob Jim. It was an awesome they, match. Never won in Rob Jim. Beat him in the Thunderdome always, but never beat him in Rob. You spend too much they time on the DP. You go to Woodstock Pizza. Yeah. End up at Freebirds about 3 Free in the morning. Yeah. You completely rage. Absolutely. You can bike all around because it's flatter. Than I don't forward. know about when you guys played, but the, the tournament they used to have at UCSB for men, the Michelob Light Classic, was the greatest term of all time because there was like 60 teams there. Happened all the club teams ago. came. No, I know, but it's different now. Not it's the only... Michelob Light anymore, though. No, but it's only about eight teams, right? Yeah. It used to be every oh, club team. Oh, when I played, it show. still was big. Yeah, oh, we had awesome. Arizona would come yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. It's like a 35-team field. Yeah, we lost to Pep in the finals there. Big deal. What year? 99, probably. Okay. 2000, maybe. Okay. Yeah, the elephant. It was the Elephant Bar Invitational when I went. Yeah, I think we I mean, made. I so can't I, I mean, I feel like I feel like they should be dancing with Lady Natty like every other year. They should be feasting on her because I, I just feel like that school in men's volleyball, man. They were going to go there. there. But then Harris, again, no, Robert no, no nobody funds uh, men's Jason volleyball. Jason Crone. So I think it's a job that everyone. Todd Rogers, the little guy you might remember, Todd Rogers. Todd yeah, Rogers, heard him. Absolutely. Jeff yep. Zevley. We went. Eric Fenoy Moana. Tatamata, you want to go deep? I'll go deep with you, buddy. Don't we throw out your little names from 96. <laughs> we went five with those guys at Pep. Epic match. Awesome one. Yeah. Lost, but it was good. Who did you idolize growing up in Illinois? I didn't know anything about volleyball. Who has a school back there? Chicago? Villa, yeah, Loyola. Loyola's back there, but that's hard to They have a good, like, don't they have a good crowds and everything? Yeah, I didn't come to the Vinny sport. Vinny and Jay will know that. I didn't right? come to the Vinny and Jay, don't they, have good, don't they have fun? Uh, I think they like, pack the house back there. See, we didn't even have men, boys volleyball in high school until 1991. That's when it first started in Illinois. It's turned into a heck of a program. There's a few guys that have come out of there. The Ridge used to take a trip. We used to go to the Ball State Tourney every year, and it was so fun. We knew all the guys on the squad, and IPFW had like volleyball with us, IPFW, Ball State and like whomever else back then. We Lewis, used to have the Ohio best State. time. We used to have it was so fun. They treated us great. We go to a baseball game and heckle because we used to heckle at our baseball game. So yeah. we would just go watch Ball State versus Purdue and baseball just on a regular normal day. And we were there and just completely started heckling for the other guys from Ball State. Like who who are these loons? Yeah, who are these guys doing? Yeah. Wearing, what are those shorts they have on and why are they all wearing flip flops? Yeah, what, what's that bula yeah. logo all over? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> By that, you know, we we were Asics the next okay. year, bro. Yeah, we once we you know. Perennial top five in the country, but you, you know. Do you watch those Bula shorts a couple of times? Did the Bula flake off? Yeah, it, it wasn't weird. sublimated, it was was it? dude. God, the stuff that we wore back then that you thought was cool is just not. It is. Again. You missed last week. We had Bill Siegler here on the show talking about the new Jeremy's boss age of beach volleyball. Where they're going to get some good pub on the Bachelor too coming up next week, twenty first. Yeah, that's what Max I hear. blown up, huh? Good for Siggy. It's big. Flashback Monday, they're calling it now in the, it. Uh, in the uh, the chat room. So Kat, My goal is just to kind of bore everyone until they just stop listening. That's what I was really hoping for. Really? Well, yeah. you have 500,000 people to alienate, according to the article I Phil Sigler. I saw that. I'd be like, wouldn't we? if we had 500,000, wouldn't we make a dollar? You'd think so. 
Hey, half Reed a is not doing us, Send us a dollar right Everybody. now. Reed is not doing a good job marketing us. We have 500,000 strong. <laughs> we're into that because we're horny for volleyball. volleyball. I mean, if we have a .5 share. If you're not winning the championship, you're doing a bad job. I sound that bad, huh? Yeah. Dirty? Yeah, really? you do. You sound like an idiot. Well, amazing. I keep getting work with that voice. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. There it is. There it is. Every week. We Dumbest thing ever said. <laughs> You know beach volleyball is dying when Kent Steffes isn't emailing us every week. He used to listen every week. What happened? I know. I don't know where Kent went. Oh, either. We don't need to. Is beach volleyball dead? We, we're going to find out later. We need we? Reed to call in and go, where's Kent Steffes? You promised me Kent Steffes was going to be here. <laughs> yeah. Where's Pretty? You promised me he'd be on the show today. Is beach volleyball dead? I mean, a, a, another one of the greats, Kathy Gregory, out in terms of, of coaching, period. But is is beach volleyball We're going to find dying? out from, from Dave Williams. We're going to find out what kind of year it's going to be, but... I said last week I think things are headed south. Yeah, I know you did. I don't really like. I don't really like your opinion yeah. about it. I don't like your. T- I, don't, I don't like your tone or your opinion about it at all. I mean, <laughs> hey, it's just like TV. That's fine. Tell me where I'm wrong. If you don't like my opinion, that's okay. But tell me where I'm factually wrong. I guess we'll go there when we get Dave Williams on later, right? I hope he tells me I'm factually. I, I, I hope so, too. I want to be wrong on this. Let's be clear. I do not wish to be correct. Here's what we know. The NBL has a schedule. How many of those are pro tournaments? That I don't know. I haven't talked to Albert. Four? Okay. Three or four? Three or um, four. Well, define pro. Donald's son, I did receive pro. an email from him. He's putting together a schedule. I don't know if that means one tournament, two tournaments. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, Manhattan Beach Open will happen. Manhattan Beach Open will happen. Leonard right. Armato possibly doing an FIVB event. Possibly. Maybe. We USAV, IMG, I don't know if that marriage is still on. I, I, that, that's what I think maybe we, we find out from Dave. I'm hoping. Well, I emailed. I got nothing back from, from anybody. So Cuervo's not that that means anything. Yeah, if it is, who's the sponsor? Cuervo's going under by all accounts. And we were hearing rumors, too, that Cuervo had let go of their athletes. But Cuervo, they have a distribution argument, I guess, from my little understanding of the situation. They have a distribution argument with their distributor. And that contract with that distributor is up June 30th of this year. And the distributor was supposed to purchase Cuervo, but now that's not going to happen. And so Cuervo, it appears, could not only not be the sponsor, but if I'm reading it correctly, could also cease to really exist in the U.S. Wow. So no more Cuervo on the shelves? No more Cuervo on the shelves. No more Cuervo sponsoring volleyball tournaments. Which means will IMG go with a different color scheme? Will we see something besides the black, black and, gold? and gold? Did they go black and gold because of Cuervo? Because I would guess so. That's their colors. There's also some brand recognition if you go back to the, you know, the AVP days, the black and yellow. Well, that was a big argument when that all happened. Oh, right. it looks just like an AVP. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So an interesting, interesting situation. What happened to the days of Lambo singing songs about the tour and things just thriving and radio shows and everyone making money? Radio mm-hmm. shows. We had a radio show. You guys Karch. had a TV show too. You had like a we half had, hour well, TV show. Oh, we did that a lot. Yeah, we had Dig for a long time. We had in, in, Inside Out Volleyball. There was there was TV shows all the time, but we had a radio show on fifteen forty AM radio for two years um, that we used to do at Sangria. And then we did it at Sharky's with and me, Karch. Here we sit in the loft with me, Karch, and Sinjin. <laughs> and that we're in the loft. Yeah, it was a, it was an hour show on Tuesday nights at seven or Thursday nights, possibly. I forget. What year was this? Two thousand two and three. Two thousand two or three, three and four. Right? Summer right, only. Yeah. yeah, just during the season. I'm gonna add that to my list here. Yeah, fifteen forty a.m. radio called the Ticket. Yeah, 
You remember it? I remember the ticket. Um, it was a really fun show. So it was only in L.A., obviously. And, you know, you didn't stream back then or anything. But Karch uh, and I hosted, and Sinjin hosted. But he would show up at six fifty nine for a seven o'clock show and ask who's coming on. Is that where you got that model? You know, I, I don't then, think they uh, even had half a million listeners, though. Not even close. To yeah, not even close oh, to that many fans. God no. But we had a lot of fun because people would come, all the players and stuff. We all everyone would come to Sangria and hang oh, out. Oh, that'd be good. It was really fun. Yeah, and they'd set up right there. Like Fifteen forty would come and set up everything. They brought their truck. I'm just going to put it out there. Open open invitation for any of the players that are out there to come by Barney's and just hang out here. There's plenty of room. We'll gra- you know, grab a guitar, start playing a song, something hey, like that. I want to know the answer. Where's Dane Blanton? Because Dane Blanton came in the show and did that. Came, sat in, did a great job. We had a lot of fun with him being here. And where is Dane right now? I, Jeremy's sliding over. Clipper information. Yeah. Well, if you follow Dane on Facebook. He's Dane and I living the greatest life of he all time. Really on Instagram, <laughs> I go, I just had to get back, text me the other day and go, dude, can I live your life? The guy's on a private jet or a golf course. Every week, and I don't know how this is happening. He's also touring the country uh, doing speeches at uh, high schools and stuff, I believe, right. as well. Yeah, good for him. Regarding – Yeah, he does a lot of – by the way, he, so he does a uh, – motivational. He's he does motivational stuff. Yeah, ki- uh, kids write essays. I mean, he's really into the academic side of things. Cool. But he does uh, – I've seen his – Let's get Dane Blanton back on this show. I've seen his project where he um, – uh, what he shows the kids, and it is – Unbelievable! It's a highlight video, kind of what he's done and stuff. But really, that 2000 Olympics yeah. piece with the voiceovers and the actual Brock, um, it is. Uh, you forget about those matches and that run that those guys had, being down in that semifinal. Unreal. went off at three aces. I mean, it was really incredible. It, it's it's really, and he's he's gotten really good at it. Yeah, he goes and speaks in front of thousands of kids all the time. Do you think it's? I don't know if that's getting in private jets, but do you think it's better than same as Marv's gold medal video that? We've all seen a million times. We played it at one moment in time, and we all get really emotional. I think Andy Reid put that one together, actually. He's the man responsible for that one back in the day. It's got, like, the lines running oh. through it because it's on an old VHS tape. It is. And it's got the old 80s graphics with Marlo going, Rebel Emma Ding Dong! <laughs> wow, Credit for- card defense, everybody's charging. <laughs> good for Dane. Uh, Dane Blanton almost... Well, we got to get him on because I want to know how he's going on the private jet. Almost the bachelor. Uh, almost the bachelor. He was a finalist. He on, was on the he bachelor was. when they showed like the selection special. You know, when we returned when Lee Legrand went to go for the bachelor and he was down like six, they they took his phone and put him in a hotel room. He cracked, couldn't do it for more than thirty four minutes. <laughs> uh, went down, said I quit. They're like, you're like a finalist. Quit. Can't. I need my phone and I can't handle what's happening. <laughs> Add Lee was just wow. Just had a uh, baby boy. Liam. See Lee. All right. Jeremy, let's let's take a quick break here. I'm gonna go on. Early. I'm gonna go on record as saying this is quite possibly the greatest first segment <laughs> in internet radio volleyball history ever. Ever. Blog talk radio. If you're not winning the championship, you're not a good coach. We have Dave Williams coming up after the break. We also have <laughs> Terry Pettit, Shannon Wells of Ole Miss, and the ABCA. We should do a drunk weekly. episode like they used to do on Mark and Brian, where we just get hammered. This has come up before. Yeah, we just should morning do it. Bloody Marys, like St. Patty's Day or something. We should. Yeah, just, we gotta start drinking at about nine, or, or like eight. Valentine's Day. Yeah, Mark, the Mark and Brian, <laughs> or like go home, home at noon, just or like Wednesday, completely hammered. Hey, honey, honey yeah. chocolate. Hey, honey, I was drinking with Jeremy Roche, <laughs> yeah, Gavin. The Drunk Show was an awesome show. Yeah, I, I absolutely show. remember it. And from, I didn't know that Mark and Brian, that actually, I think it's Brian. <laughs> Look at Hossack wants in if we're doing <laughs> I know, I know What a just, shocker. I know they just quit. 
I didn't even know. I turned on 95.5 accidentally, and they were gone. I'm like, what the hell? They were gone six or eight months ago or whatever. Wow. But I didn't know that Brian or, or Mark, one of them, has been doing the show for the last five years from North Carolina. And that Kevin and for Bean. Oh, yeah, one's in Seattle, one of the, one I think. Of the Kevin and Bean. Yeah, yeah, Kevin's up there or something. Yeah. I had no idea. Vinny has a good, a good idea. The, the right net live drinking game. You know we have a few loyal fans that maybe have come up with a game where, like, if you hear a, a name drop or something. Like, or a topic. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a topic yeah, you have to do a shot. Like, if you hear, if you're not winning a championship, you're doing an awful job. Or if, takes a shot. or if Kevin can name the I have great thighs on the song that yeah. you play. Or they have to yell penis a little bit off. Yeah, I like that. How you have to play the penis game? Yeah. How about, were you listening when... Barney just dropped a couple F bombs a few weeks ago. It was absolutely stupendous. I don't even know what happened. It was like he hadn't he hadn't said a bad word for four years, and all of a sudden he did two back to back. Who else did one? Marlo. It started off Doctor Gervais. Good doctor. He broke the seal. The good doctor dropped it a couple times. Marlo. Marlo threw a couple. Doctor. Doctor. I got an email later. Got an email Mind later from Marlo. Was that okay? Sorry about the swearing. Yeah. It's the internet. We do whatever we want. Yeah. I'm, I can't believe I've yet to do it. Uh, that is shocking to me. The one's coming today. I got a good feeling. I can't wait for it. Speaking of the drinking game, Angels legend Scott Spezio. Remember him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He's going to serve as Grand Marshal for Monster Energy Supercross this weekend. Uh, I saw him at an Angel game this year. Oh, by the he's, way. He's doing okay. Speaking of other baseball players, I was in Phoenix, right? We're at Chase Field. Randy Johnson there, second year in a row. He's at Supercross. Remember when he hit that bird? The unit? The unit? Yeah. Remember when his large unit just completely buried that bird coming across the field? Just crushed it. Just into a cloud of feathers. The the unit is sort of a D-O-U-C-H-E bag. I mean, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Known fact. Complete douchebag. Co-owns a sports bar in the Phoenix area with Alice Cooper, and they have a ginormous hot dog that is called the big unit that you order it and they like the girls come in with sparklers and they play the song all the way across. wow it's like you know a foot and a half long the unit i want to do a segment later in the show biggest d-bags in volleyball history no really is that a like good randy idea? John- yeah you'd okay. be in there <laughs> well i want to know if it's a good idea in, in volleyball history or in sports history or no volleyball go only volleyball because this is a volleyball show so on occasion we have to talk volleyball i, I might be believe, a show i couldn't believe how bad he was like my partner Jim Holly, big kind of a gregarious guy. Remember we talked about the Super Bowl that one year, and like people on volleyball talk got mad at us because they're like they're talking about football. Yeah, whatever. We if what? you listen to last week's show, we didn't Super even Bowl. talk about volleyball for the twenty five minutes before the show started. But we, we ask him. We're just standing there. We want to interview him just to say, hey, what are you doing here? He's, he's a photographer Who? now. Who? Randy Johnson. Mm-hmm. It's the second year he's been there. I've seen photos of him before at this race. And my partner, just a super friendly guy. He's like, hey, Randy, you know, whatever, you know, you still play. Uh, Still play baseball for fun or anything? And Randy goes, I've been playing baseball for fun since I was seven years old, man. I've been in my backyard playing for fun. I played uh, the minor okay. leagues two years, major right. leagues 19 years. Really? Yeah, it's we all know who you are. I'm 47 years old. Uh, I've been doing it for 40, 46 years for fun. I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? Yeah. You know what? Don't be it. Nobody's ever said about Randy Johnson. Wow, there's a handsome man. <laughs> if you got pockmarks, maybe you get bitter. I don't know. So don't talk to Randy Johnson. You see him. Bringing the mullet back, though. Still trying. Still trying. We're on fire today. His jeans did not fit him. It's like, Randy, get a lot of money. Get some custom jeans, buddy. All right. The Net Live. Hmm. It's on a Monday. 100% coming up next. Time for a break. A little bit more information, perhaps, we hope, on Beach. Chris, Dustin, Jeremy, and myself. We're right back. 
Volleyball Mag, the industry's number one volleyball magazine. Volleyball Magazine has been serving the volleyball community for over 20 years with the latest in volleyball news and information, product reviews, athlete profiles, fitness, health, and travel-related features. It's published nine times a year. Volleyball Magazine brings you the inside to the access to sports' biggest stars. Whether you're interested in junior, collegiate, or professional level, sand or indoor, Volleyball Magazine has you covered both on and off the court. Visit us now. Do it. www.volleyballmag.com and subscribe for one year for only $19.99. Do that now and receive a new water bottle, a $49 value, free compliments of our friends at Naturally Energized Water Bottle Company. Volleyball Mag, the industry's number one volleyball mag. Just the definition of professionalism. Yeah, the net live on a we Monday. One we, day, just fight. We hope that you're getting uh, getting this show via iTunes or you're streaming it off of Volleyball Magazine's website. If, if we did a, a round robin search, fight, what would the season? I'm doing a promo here. Sorry. Search the net live inside iTunes, or you can search volleyball and underneath podcasts, you will find us. Remember to use the Blog Talk Radio feed. Did you have something to add? I was saying, if we fought, what would the seeds be? 
Oh, Guaranteed, I'm number one. But who goes two, three? Uh, Jeremy's probably. Are you gonna fight to dirty? Is that why you're the number one seed? You're just going straight gr- penis grab or what? <laughs> I don't know why you associate that. With... <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Now, now things are getting weird. I definitely have on. to win the play-in game because it'd be like me and Kelly Tennant. Yeah, <laughs> she might take you down. She might. She she would. Speaking of the penis, you versus Rosenthal to start. Jay's definitely getting in on this one. <laughs> I feel like Gardhoff might just. Come out of nowhere, though, and just how take about, control. How about the, the collage last week? Did you see it? There were some awesome pulls. He is on collage. his game. Nicholas Start David off? in the yeah. corner. Have you not seen it? No. Oh, no, no one showed me. Gee whiz. All right, let's bring in our first guest. We'll boot that up. I, I've kind of been a little bummed on Guard Hot since, since he made the worst <laughs> the sketch ever of me. You can't be bummed on Guard Hot for too long. Nah, too Guard Hot's a genius. Too he, good. He's a genius. That was a total joke. All right, let's welcome this guy. He's a survivor in the world of beach volleyball. He's that, for about every organization good way I to put think it. of. Dave Williams has been there. He's been a part of the management team, and now most recently he's been I working for I think he was USMB. even there in like the BVA days. I mean, <laughs> Dave Williams has been through them all. The Weva days? He wasn't in the indoor game in the Weva. He was... He's now working for USAV Beach. He is director of beach programming. I believe is his title. We'd have to clarify it with him, but he's in charge over there in that office. Right off Aviation, if you want to go by and visit. I noticed it the other day driving by. And he's going to tell us all about the national team programs and how it's all coming together for 2013. Please welcome to the Net Live once again, Dave Williams. Hi, Dave. Hello, guys. Hi, Dave. Happy New Year, buddy. Yeah, Gator, sorry I didn't get back to you. I didn't know it was going to uh, make it on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) If I, was, if I wasn't just talking about you, I emailed everybody and nobody got back to me. So don't even feel bad about it. So it I know. I'm just teasing. Welcome back to the show, Dave. And let's start you off with just talking about the national team programming. This is something that has been changing and evolving. Where are you guys at right now with developing new beach talent? Well, I'll tell you, I think our efforts are probably a little bit behind the need uh, I don't think any of us really can calculate the, uh, the devastation and trauma that was created when AVP folded uh, because the AVP was the developmental pipeline for the sport for, you know, forever. Uh, but at this point, uh, you know, I think that we've been able to ramp up our uh, funding for the uh, FIVB athletes. And just when we kind of thought we had our legs under us going into this year, the FIVB has kind of radically changed how we can get athletes out onto the FIVB tour. So we're still um, we're still figuring a few things out. But our goal is to make sure that uh, we get the right athletes in the right events at the right time and that we fill every FIVB and North Seca, um, uh, opportunity that we can fill. Okay, so the country quota goes away. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the the changes are kind of, they're really peculiar. So if you're going to ask me why did they do this, uh, you know, I, I'd have to know how to think like Ari Grasa. But bottom line is they put 10 grand slams out there, and there's about 10 opens out there. The opens don't have qualifiers, so the opens aren't really open, and the uh, grand slams have qualifiers. So, um, you know, it's... <laughs> It's this peculiar, uh, and we're still working through some of this, so I don't want to uh, go into too much detail. We met with the players on uh, on Friday, and they all voiced some very, 
legitimate concerns, and you know we we have to kind of go back to FIVB and uh, ask for some changes. Dave, uh, what what is peculiar to me is that if there's no qualifiers in those ten events, how does the FIVB think? And I know you can't think like them, but it kind of takes away that that rising player that's trying to battle to get on that tour. Sounds like it'd be a tough club to get into. Well, it it is, and their master plan is that they would qualify athletes to those Opens via the Continental events. So for us, our Continental events are Norsecas. The problem with Norsecas is two years ago, they reduced the number of teams that the country can put into them. We used to get two teams per gender. Now we get one team per gender. But a, I guess you could call it a bone that FIVB is throwing uh, a few countries is uh, we will eventually be allowed to award FIVB, event, uh, FIVB points to sanctioned domestic events, but um, we're still working through that, and those points will be very, very small. So for an athlete, it's really tough to get out there right now. Dave, give me some of the good things that are going on. I know at the juniors level you guys are doing some solid things, and there's some great young players out there. What's some of the stuff that uh, you guys are uh, looking forward to in 2013? Well, I, you know, I mean, last year we put 1,200 kids through our tryouts and our camps, and that number is only going to increase this year. Um, so, you know, I think as our uh, indoor USA Volleyball regions start to see uh, the opportunity on beach, you'll see programming pop up all over the country. California's uh, always been easy for beach volleyball. Florida's come along very strong. Um, you know, Geeter kind of follows uh, the old professional map. I mean, you can imagine the uh, Chicago, Milwaukee, Muskegon, Michigan, that whole area is very strong for beach volleyball. So while the uh, the top of the pyramid looks a little dicey, the base is growing exponentially. You mentioned the top of the pyramid looking a little bit dicey in the professional scene. I think when everything went down in 2010, the prevailing opinion on this program, or my opinion, was that it would take about three years for things to shake out. We're in that third year now. How are things shaking out for the, the players that have gotten involved? I can think of three main entities, the AVP, IMG, Cuervo, and NVL. Well, we're in, we're in pretty frequent dialogue with them all the time. I mean, NVL's in our building. Um, you know, we talked to IMG. Uh, at least weekly, and uh, other people in uh, USA Volleyball talk to uh, AVP. I, I talked uh, with Donald's son at AVCA, and I will tell you that um, you almost have to take a step back from the U.S. and look globally. FIVB has reduced a lot of the requirements in order to host an event because the costs are so high and the sponsorship dollars globally aren't there. Now you come back down to the United States, same thing. Everybody is having a difficult time finding sponsorship for the sport. And um, so uh, it's almost what I said at the exit. When, when AVP uh, folded uh, Friday the 13th, 2010, uh, in Dig Magazine, I said the sport's never been better, but the business has never been sicker. It's, it's a very tough business model. And, um, you know, everyone is doing their best. Everyone's working very hard to attract new sponsors, but it's a little bit slow right now. Well, and you guys are using a different approach with the national team, and it seems like the beach national team programming has started to look 
quite similar to the indoor national team programming, and it, it seems like you guys are the future of at least the Olympic representation. Well, I mean, that's, you know, we're, that's our job. But uh, our job gets a lot easier if there's healthy professional events around the country. Uh, we can support the athletes uh, only so much, but we can't su- support them to the point where they're making the kind of living they were making uh, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, but I can tell you that the uh, amount of support that's coming out of USA Volleyball to Beach is pretty unprecedented, and I think that our board and our top management continue to make pretty big investments over here. And, um, you know, we're, but are we doing enough, fast enough? That's probably the big question for us. Hey, Dave, this is Dustin. I wanted to ask your opinion on, an, on an, add in another organization, the, the NC2A. With the sand game growing in the, in the women's collegiate ranks, how do you see that affecting, you know, your your involvement, the tours involvement, all the ones that Kevin mentioned, the international game, is it helping? Is it hurting? What what do you see out there? Oh, I think it's I think it's exciting and tremendously helpful. Uh and probably uh we you haven't seen it uh in the public level yet, but I would say that that uh, the adoption of sand volleyball is stimulating more interest into beach volleyball than anything else that's ever happened. And you're seeing high school volleyball kind of pop up in pockets. Uh, and then, obviously, the regions are creating club volleyball. But I think it's been tremendous. Where, where do I see it? I don't think at the Olympic level or the international level we're going to see much of a yield there until 2020. But I will say this. Uh, we work very, very closely with uh, uh, the NCAA coaches and and a lot of the kids that come out of USA Volleyball's programming go to those colleges and take those spots. So right now it's very synergistic. Will men's collegiate sand ever happen? You know, at the NCAA level, it, you know, I don't know. Title IX is very, uh, very difficult. I think that there's been a couple. There's a couple of opportunities, though. I think uh, collegiate sand club for men, whether it be uh, NCVF or Sinjin's NCSVA, I think that we need to kind of focus there because the athletes are out there. They just need an opportunity to step on the sand. Um, I I think about this a lot. Uh, You know, guys, guys like Austin Rester, who really just big natural athletes, they step on the beach and suddenly they get really good at the game. I think we need to create a lot of opportunities for guys like that around the country, and uh, I think it's going to be pretty exciting if we can figure it out. You're listening to NetLive on a Monday. We're talking to USAV Beach, Beach's own Dave Williams, Managing Director. And, Dave, you have for years put together a master calendar of events uh, to your own entity, wherever you happen to be, but also the others who are involved in the beach volleyball space. What can you tell us about the 2013 calendar? What definitely will happen? Well, let's talk about the Cuervo, since that seems to be the big um, uh, concern. Uh, when we, uh, when when James Lights and I first approached Cuervo three years ago, we knew at that time that Diageo, the distributor for Cuervo, had a contract with Cuervo that was going to terminate June this year. 
the game plan was for Diageo to purchase Cuervo, not just outright in the U.S., but globally. Those negotiations, they've kept us uh, abreast of those, you know, quarterly and sometimes monthly. On December 11th, um, they issued a press release saying that Cuervo and Diageo had walked away from the negotiating table uh, and uh, they weren't going to go forward with beach volleyball. IMG, however, is still trying to go forward with beach volleyball. And, uh, you know, James let me know the other day. He says, I got a few things up my sleeve. So I don't want to speculate and I don't want to uh, put James in a box. I'm just going to tell you the interest level for beach volleyball at IMG is very, very high. If I were in his shoes, I would reduce the schedule by maybe dropping Chicago and dropping Belmar, uh, only because I don't think the beach in Belmar is going to be ready, and Chicago has the highest permit fees in the country. It, it was Permit fees are over $100,000 just to use the beach in Chicago. So those are the moves that I would make. I don't know. Uh, James and I are talking later this week, and so uh, you know I'm sure he's going to, uh, be letting people know very shortly what he's going to do. The Manhattan Open is a different animal inside that uh, IMG schedule because there's a contract, a multi-year contract to produce that event. So that event is guaranteed to happen. Um, as far as the uh, NVL, Albert was just in here the other day. We went through his schedule. Um, you know, I think the, the opportunity Albert has on his schedule in Austin is a huge opportunity. If they, can, if they can work out the terms of that, that could be one of the great tentpole events in this country. Uh, I know that he's going into some new markets this year. Uh, Cedar Point, Ohio is new, uh, but that could be another good one. And uh, he's going to do uh, Wapaka Boat Ride again, which was he's already done that. He'll do uh, Mother Load, and his Las Vegas will happen, and certainly his Preakness will happen. So now... The prize money is always uh, an issue, uh, depending upon the sponsorships that you can bring in. And then going to AVP, you know, Donald wouldn't confirm, but I think he's he's very much a cautious guy. I feel pretty – I'm I'm 100% confident that Cincinnati happens and uh, Santa Barbara happens again. Um, I think he'll do up to four uh, because I know some other markets where they're having conversations – so I feel pretty good that AVP will do four. You think that uh, all these tours are going to maybe work together a little bit so that if there's four four tournaments here, three there, whatever, Albert's doing some new ones, like you mentioned, those locales, uh, that may be a good environment that the tours will actually be helping each other so that the players could play in as many as they want without having conflicts, or is this still going to be uh, you know, for each his own? Well... There were conflicts last year that were, I, I think, there were the first year, the first year, but, I mean, that's the purpose of this national calendar. I've been doing it since probably 2001, and the reason you do it is so that back then we could schedule AVP around CBVA or East End Volleyball or the Florida Bud Light Tour, and I just share it with everyone so everyone kind of sees where everyone's going. In an ideal scenario, you would have... Um, NVL in uh, Seaside Heights, New Jersey, and then the next week would be um, the Cuervo in Belmar. So the athletes could travel to one market and hit two events. 
And I think that we're going to uh, end up that way. We're kind of there now. There's not that many conflicts. Um, I, as a matter of fact, the bigger set of conflicts exist with the Norsecas and the FIVB. But domestically, uh, everyone realizes that uh, staying clear of conflicts is in everyone's best interest. Dave, several years ago, there was a whole issue surrounding the Article 8 filing by the players in an attempt to make a different entity than USA Volleyball, the national governing body. USA Volleyball responded uh, to that Article 8 with a lot of structural changes. Where do you think beach volleyball now ranks in the mind of USA Volleyball, the national governing body? Well, I was on the other side of that article. I, I was at AVP when when that was filed, and uh, ironically, uh, we just had all of our staff read the Article Eight last week because there are there's beliefs out there on the beach that have already been addressed, but people still think are are true, and um, I would say that the Article Eight also happened at the same time that we were reorganizing the board of directors at, uh, at USA Volleyball. So the end result, while it was traumatic for USA Volleyball, I think was good all the way around. I think that the uh, amount of support that you're seeing out of USA Volleyball for the beach athletes um, is a direct result of the Article 8. I think that internally, uh, beach volleyball has tremendous representation on the board of directors, and also beach volleyball is agendized uh, with management and on the board uh, every meeting. So beach volleyball has a very large presence uh, in the strategy of USA Volleyball and and our regions. So it kind of went from a uh, an afterthought to a strategic initiative. Hey, Dave, any um, news on that possible event? I, I've heard people talk about it. I once talked to Leonard about the idea of uh, having something at, at Long Beach, more of a, a USA uh, versus the world type event, uh, music type festival. Uh, any Is there any traction to that? Yeah, uh, we're working closely with Leonard on that. And, um, you know, the, as you can imagine, we kind of got a late start. Leonard wasn't able to get started on that until after um, – the uh, FIVB elections, and I, I mean, Leonard conceptually has been thinking about it for a while, but he really got the green light in November. So we've been working closely with him on that. Um, you know, we're, I, it would be a fantastic thing for us, USA Volleyball and the sport of beach volleyball, if Leonard is successful with this in Long Beach, because it, it's, it will reignite the interest in the sport by marrying it with cool lifestyle events around it. And, you know, Geeter, there was a time, uh, 2001, Leonard takes a pretty big chance and buys the sport out of bankruptcy. But by 2005, Maxim Magazine had selected the Manhattan Beach Open, the number one sporting event in the world to see before you die. So Leonard, you know, you were there when we were doing it. Leonard pushes people hard, and he has great ideas, and he, he can create some chemistry. What he's envisioning in Long Beach is much greater than that, and I think it will be good for us. I think it will be great for the FIVB. So, um, you know, we're, we're completely supporting him and working with him to make it happen. 
Uh, I think if there's one guy that can pull it off, because uh, you and I both worked with him and, and the ideas that he can come up with and how he makes it work, then it, it's Leonard, no question. He can sell a glass yeah. of water. I mean, Leonard, if there's one thing he can do, it's sell, that's for sure. Hey, Dave, we'll get you out of here on this. You're spending the time with us. I just want to get your feeling in general about the direction of beach volleyball, the sport. Well, I'll tell you, we have big challenges, uh, USA Volleyball. I mean, we have, on the men's side of our sport, we don't have any guy under the age of 30 with any FIVB uh, experience. You know, there's like a donut hole in our business that we need to address fast and first. Uh, but the the probably the unmeasured uh, good news of this whole thing is this groundswell of beach volleyball at the grassroots level is is really much bigger than any of us are feeling because we're in California, so we only kind of feel what we see uh, in front of us on the beach. But the growth across the country is so large that uh, 2016 is going to be a challenge. 2020, we're going to be right back where we need to be. Dave Williams is Managing Director of Beach Volleyball at USA Volleyball. The office is out here in California. And, Dave, we certainly appreciate you spending some time with us talking about the sport of beach and uh, the challenges and efforts that are being made to make that great sport continue. Thanks. Thanks, Dave. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right, Dave Williams, checking out, I think, second time on the Net Live. Oh, Dave's been on. A lot I mean, of he, information. He comes there. in. Yeah, two or three times. Dave comes in and gives us uh, information, and we always appreciate it. A lot of information in there. I think a couple of things that I, I, I would take away. He reminded me that the FIVB killed events last year. They took events away that were on the schedule. Yep, absolutely. I'd forgotten that the FIVB itself was struggling with some of the beach events programming that they had. Uh, good to hear that IMG is still interested in continuing, and they're working on other uh, options other than Cuervo. And also, there's there's some funding stuff out there that people should know. This Article 8 that we addressed, it was an effort to decertify USA Volleyball as the national governing body for beach because they weren't supporting it. Now, there's a whole bunch of other issues we could go into. I was on the other side. Dave was on the other side of that issue. But we don't need to go into that other than to say... Budget numbers, which are public numbers from USA Volleyball, because they are a nonprofit organization. You can look these up. 2009, their beach national team programming budget, $471,000. The following year, 2010, $640,000. 2011, $640,000. Not unusual for things to peak out. 2012, $985,000. Proposed 2013 spending on the beach national teams from USA Volleyball. $1.5 $1.5 million. It's not approved, but that is the proposed number at this point. So you've seen an increase in spending of almost fourfold, nearly fourfold from what it used to be just in 2009. So anyone who's going to walk around making the claim that USA Volleyball is not supporting beach volleyball, you're not looking too good with this little graph here. That's surprising. Those are surprising numbers. Well, there's still a feeling out there from beach players that they're not being supported like like the indoor team. Well, you know what? Maybe you felt that way before, and you still feel that way because you don't have current information. Or you're getting too old, and yeah, they don't want to support you because you're not going to play 2016 or 2020. But there are players out there, and and maybe you guys know a couple off the top of your head by name, but that are being funded by USAV, right, to participate in these tournaments, to 
you know, they're, they're getting paychecks to train as opposed to having to go get a day job and then train for 2016 or 2020 in the interim. That's the idea. That's the national team program. Now you're not getting as much money. You're going to have to share prize money. You're going to do all these other things. And that's what was said back in the Article 8 days. Look, you want to be treated like the indoor team? Here you go. You don't control your coach. You don't control your practice hours. You don't control your facility. You have to share your, your prize money. But you get a salary. You get insurance. You get stability for the other side. The beach players wanted to be cut a check. And get to keep the rights to everything else. Oh, by the way, you give up some of your advertising rights too. You it, you cannot say to an organization, pay me and get no benefit. I deserve this money. It's not how it works. There's still a perception out there that USAB is not putting the money out there and making it available. That number is right close to the number for the indoor team. The way I've heard it, it's equal to the support for the indoor team. We're going to see that whole that he's talking about, that nobody under 30 with FIVB experience. That is a shocking. It's a shocking yeah. number. And it's also, I mean, think about the effects of, as he mentioned, that Friday the 13th in August, back in 2010. I mean, kids, young adults, males that play the sport aren't seeing a place to go. They're not seeing tournaments uh, growing up in certain cities where we would go every year. They're not seeing tournaments go, man, I want to play this game. Uh, there's not a lot of college choices. You know, a lot of the guys that were great professional beach volleyball players played college men's indoor volleyball. Same, same has been true for women. Only now is it changing with programs like yeah. Florida State or Pepperdine. Which, I'm not saying that's the end all, but you're seeing it that there's not a lot of places for these guys to go play college. There's not a domestic, a strong domestic pro tour that everyone affiliates with. Yes, there's things happening with USAV and IMG, and and everyone's doing their best. The NBL. But they're not going city to city, same time every year like they used to when all these guys are growing up going, man, I, I, I want to play like this guy. I want to side out. I want to do this. I want to pick up the game. So it's, it's really it's been uh, a perfect storm of sorts because that hole that I've seen um, in, the, in the men's beach game, I started to see it actually a couple of years ago, even when the tour was strong. When AVP mm -hmm. was strong, you would look at these guys that were the quote-unquote young guns mm -hmm. And they were in their older 20s, yeah. maybe even hitting, turning 30. And you just saw that where's the, where's the 20, 21-year-old yeah. guy that's, that's you know, maybe finishing in some 13s. Look at every other sport. Indoor. The young 20-year-old, right. 21-year-old, Kyrie Irving, the Mike Trouts, those guys are young guys. I mean, I remember seeing a graphic. We did that AVP Classic show. And Steffes and Karch were playing Smith, Stokey, San Diego, whatever the year. And he was 22 years old or 21 years old, something, maybe 23 years old, right around the early 20s. He had something like 20 titles. Yeah. I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, Ken had 20 titles by that. Yes, they played way more tournaments. But he was a young guy yeah. winning tournaments, and he started young. So, we you know, Rosie was like that last right. guy. That, right. Rosie know. and Wade. I mean, what did, yeah. what did Kent stop playing at, 26 or something? I mean, he was under crazy. 30. He was about 29. Uh, a big question I had during that interview was now – that it's been three years since the AVP went under, almost three years, and these tours are having their own struggles. Do they really need, looking back now, like, okay, we have to work together at this point? Have to. Because nobody's, quote-unquote, winning. No one's yeah. taken over. Like, they need to work together at this point, Well, I right? think for them to get to a you know, certain spot of success, you can call yourself... Yeah. Work together in what sense, though? Scheduling or yeah. sponsors? I mean, you can't work together on sponsors. Yeah, that's the problem. Unless you're going to merge. Umbrella. 
Yeah, it's a tough sell for sponsors, and that's been the issue the whole time, is that there there are no endemic ways to make money. You can't set up a beach volleyball tournament and go make money. Well, I mean, All you can do is spend money. There's no way to, to recoup your costs aside from getting a sponsor, and that's where the real hole is in the economy. Forget just the sport, but the economy in general. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Jeremy, um, nobody's in a good position, in my opinion, right now, right? And, and a rising tide carries all boats, right? So. There needs to be a certain level, in my opinion, a certain minimum level that we need to bring some of these up to and, and take some of the things that are being said on the me- message board with the common rating system or points or some sponsorships. And, and I think that eventually it will be, however, however long it takes, hopefully it comes back to a point of a survival of the fittest. You know, one of them will emerge because because they'll get that sponsorship, they'll get some money, they'll take some of the some of the the lifestyle of the game and the history of the game and uh it'll it'll eventually win out but right now you know I think they all need to work together to get to a point of viability period sport has work to do we know that that's no news here on the net live we've talked about it for a long time i think unfortunately it's going to be an ongoing conversation jeremy you have new music always always has new music college uh no, ABCA Coach's Corner. I'm getting these things mixed up. Let's punch that Coach's Corner. This is new. New mix. In association with the ABCA, we are proud to bring you a brand new segment here on the Net Live called the Coach's Corner. A look into some of the topics, issues, and things facing college coaches all across the United States. We're going to start with recruiting and the very first guest for this segment currently resides at Ole Miss. She's got experience at Winthrop, at Moorhead State, at Southern Indiana. Been three years now at Ole Miss. Please welcome to the Net Live for the first time, Shannon Wells. Shannon, are you there? Hey. Hey, thanks for calling in. We appreciate you calling in. And, you know, your name came up when we started discussing recruiting, and that's kind of why we want to bring you in here to talk about trying to build a program uh, through recruiting. That is one of the primary right. jobs of a lot of coaches out there. And, and give us a little background on how you got started into coaching and how you ended up having recruiting fall under your purview inside your programs. All right. Well, um, I think I always wanted to coach. Um, I have an older brother who played football, and that's kind of what he did. He graduated while I was still in high school from college and uh, went on to become a football coach and just watching him and his relationship with his players this kind of always motivated me, and but you know my first initial thought was I wanted to coach high school, so that's what I went to college to do. And while I was at Southern Indiana, I had four coaches there in four years. So you know, at the time, it's kind of one of those where you're like, gosh, seriously. But now it's I had four great coaches who are still friends and mentors of mine, and people that I get to you know talk to all the time about different things. So that was a blessing in disguise. And um, after I was done there. I started coaching there, and we had another coaching change. So kind of while that coach left and he actually became the assistant at LSU and we were looking to hire another coach, I was kind of stuck there. Um, And I had had that experience of bringing people in and being the person who hosted the recruits and getting that experience. But then now we were without a coach. I was the only assistant on staff. So you just kind of had to take it upon yourself and try to keep the kids that were committed still going while the kids that you were recruiting still involved until we hired a new coach. So that was kind of the beginning, uh, just thrown into it of, well, here you go and, and see what you can do. And 
Um, you know, I don't know how much I was a help other than trying to keep in contact with them. And then just kind of everywhere I went, when I was at Moorhead, I was just a graduate assistant under Jamie Gordon. and He was great in the way that he recruits. He has quite a special program going on at Moorhead State. Um, and just the way that he's able to build the relationships that he has with his athletes and has found his little niche in Louisville, Kentucky, and a little bit in Cincinnati and just in that area. So a little bit of just trying to figure out how to develop relationships with young kids and find young kids. Um, and that allowed me to go on to Winthrop with when I was under Sally Paul Hamus, who's now the assistant at Florida, but was at Georgia Tech at the time um, as an assistant. I mean, just what they were able to do, and I think if you ask anybody about when Bond and, and, and Sally were there and the mail-outs that they had and the creativity that they brought into recruiting, well, I, you know, I got to pick her brain every day for three years on that stuff, so I was pretty blessed. Um, and kind of just bringing all that into my own and, and getting opportunities to do that. So I've been blessed with a ton of great mentors that have been involved with recruiting. I think that's the number one thing in anyone's program and, um, basically just thrown into it and said, here you go, and try to come up with some things that work, and some things work great, and some things fail really bad, and, you know, that's just kind of the process that I've been able to do kind of for the past eight years. So if you're trying to sell your program, you said you need to establish connections with young kids. If you want to sell your program, how much you sell in the program or how much you sell in the school? What really matters to a lot of these young women? Gosh, I knew what mattered to young girls. I mean, holy crap, I'd be uh, getting all the number one recruits in the nation, I'll tell you that much. Um, It's just tough. I I think that, you know, the number one thing is getting yourself out there and getting your coaching staff out there. And whatever each school is trying to sell, you know, for us, it's family. I mean, we've been here, um, you know, Coach Gessen, my head coach, has been here for 12 years, and I'm going through my fourth season, and now Sean, our assistant, has been here for three years. We've been around each other. We love each other. We know each other's family. I mean, that's just such a huge part of it. We don't have anyone on our roster that's in state, so everyone's from all different areas. The closest person is five hours away. So, you know, that's what we found in our program. That's our niche is come here, come be a part of our family, come be a part of something special. But for every program, they have to find out what that is. You know, we also have a great academic school, so we're able to sell that. But you know, what I sell here at Ole Miss is way different than what I was able to sell at Moorhead State, which was way different than what I was selling at Division Two Southern Indiana. So, yep. you know, you got to spend the time there and really get to know your program, and then at that point you decide what you're selling. But right now in recruiting, the number one thing is relationships. And, you know, when we're recruiting 2015s right now, we're recruiting 2016s, obviously your level of communication with those athletes it's, it's very minimal. You're waiting on them to give you a call, and then you're talking to a 15- or 14-year-old on the phone, and, you know, what are you able to talk to a 15- and 14-year-old about? And then, you know, they're going back to who? Their their high school coach, their club coach. Well, what type of relationship do you have with those coaches? And I think really right now in recruiting, that's what it's about. It's about developing deep relationships with club coaches and high school coaches and getting them to buy into your program because they're the ones that those kids are going to and asking, where should I go to school? Hey, Shannon, it's Geeter. Uh, I got a question. In, in the club world, I find things have changed over the last six or seven years or so, and it's getting worse in terms of kids basically uh, wanting to just either one, be on a top team or one they right. have to play all the time. Uh, are you right. finding that recruits 
want to know a place they can come and start as a freshman? Because it used to not be that way. I mean, you used to wait your turn a couple of years and then you played, but now it seems like everyone has to play four years or, or, or they're gone. Right. No, I think that's it's that instant gratification. And you're not only finding it with the playing time, you're finding it in the training aspect of it. Of You know, when you're trying to change a kid's arm swing and they're not getting it right away, you know, I think that's a, a struggle you find in your gym every day of how hard it is to get kids to change what they've been doing because they don't see the rewards right away. So that goes with recruiting and the playing time. So that's just something that you got to sell. And I think it's, um, I think I was at University of Louisville and actually the athletic director was talking to me and saying, you just have to be careful about what you sell in the recruiting process because that's the type of kid that you're getting. So when you're selling, hey, you want to play, come here, you'll start for us, that's what's going to happen, and then they get there, well, that's what you sold to them. They're not expecting to have to work hard. They're expecting to get in there and play right away, and they haven't even had to do anything in your gym. So, you know, what they want and what you're able to give them, you kind of have to find that balancing act and and what you're comfortable with with doing. I think we have a good balance here that we're probably a little bit brutally honest, and we've lost some kids because we're honest of this is the work that you're going to have to do in order to play here. But, you know, we're the ones that have to live with that. So when that athlete's here and we promise this to them and they're not getting it right away, well, then you're not really dealing with a happy athlete and nobody really wants to be around a happy athlete for four years. Um, so you've got to have to you have to find that balance when you're in the process of being the recruiter of what you want to sell to your kid, what you want them to commit to, and hopefully you find the right mix of somebody who is going to come in and work hard and, um, and get that opportunity. And every level is different. You know, of course, there's, there's those kids on our list that, you know, are listed as no-brainers, and if they say, hey, I, I need to start for four years, you might get that kid and say, well, yeah, yeah, no problem. I mean, you will. No problem. But that kid calling, you know, at, at this point in time, Texas, and them saying that, well, they're probably going to get a lot different response from Texas than they would at Ole Miss. Um, so you would definitely have those outliers that you're going to have to deal with that kind of response. Shannon, you mentioned earlier the changing of head coaches and the effect that has on kids and players and having to deal with that. But what about when you're a kid who's been recruited into a program, a program on the rise, and you're now recruiting better kids behind them? How do you continue to sell to that kid that you're recruiting that they're going to move ahead of who you already have, but at the same time right. keep the you already have happy? I, yeah, I, that's why I'm an assistant. That's why I leave the the head coaches get to deal with those situations. That's that's what I keep telling myself in my head. Um, you know, they're tough, and I think that for us, one of the big things we talk about is we think that we're, um, and I guess I'm being a little confident in ourselves here, but we think we're great trainers in the gym and we work our kids really hard and we give them tons of reps and, you know, we tell them that the one thing that you can do here at Ole Miss is you can leave here as good as you want to be. You know, and that's in every aspect. We have all the resources available for you to be as good as you want to be. So, yeah, of course, in the recruiting process, we're going to recruit kids that are better because, Otherwise, we don't get better as a program. But what you get is you get maybe it's a semester, maybe it's a year of being in the gym with us, of knowing what we want and knowing what we're training, and you have that edge of just the confidence of knowing that you have that year of experience in the SEC, and then the next year, you know, they're walking in as a freshman and getting that. So I think that's a situation that every program has. A lot of it is building that trust with your players um, that are on your team now and then knowing that, as a coach, you want them to be successful. You want them to 
reach their goals, that you've put time in it with a relationship and the time you spend with them off the court, but the time you spent with them on the court to know that, hey, I got your back, you know, and it's a fight. And this is what Division One SEC athletics is about. It's about getting in there and fighting every day for a position. If, if you don't want to fight and compete for a position, well, then don't play in the SEC. You know, that's just one of the things we talk about. But that relationship is so strong before that freshman even comes on that hopefully that kid knows that you got their back and that you're going to do what's best for the team. And that's kind of the team culture that you've been able to develop. But, um, you know, for one, it is. It's your team culture and the relationships that you have with kids. But those are issues that, you know, happen all the time. I mean, you look at the top programs in the nation and you see the recruits that they're getting in the 13s and 14s and 15 classes and, you know, watch the Final Four, and I'm like, man, how are they going to tell this kid in 13, or how are they going to tell that starting outside right now that this person's coming in next year? And I would just love to be in their gym and see how they handle that as coaches and see how they handle that as athletes because, I mean, that's that's something special. I mean, you look at Kristen Carpenter from Penn State and, and the role that's changed, you know, from the time that she was a freshman to where she is now, pretty special kid, but – you know, what they're doing in their gym, uh, probably the relationship they have with her and, and her competitiveness as an individual too. But, um, you know, it's, every program has that. You just kind of have to find out what's going to work best for your program. But for us, it's it's the relationship that we have with our athletes and hopefully them walking out each day knowing that we got their back and we, we know that they can become a great player, you know, right. if they put the work into it as well. Shannon, thanks very much for coming on. Before we let you go, we have to know about the punching machine at Sharky's. Word has it. <laughs> oh, I love Brandon. Brandon's such a good guy. Yeah, I'm, I I don't know what to say. Um, I'm, I'm up for competition at any point in time at the punching machine. I have a little secret. Um, I've put a lot of people to shame on that. I won't mention too many names, um, Skinner or Valentino. Yeah, I, I won't mention too many, but I got a crazy right hook. What can I say? I had two older brothers. Nice. <laughs> I love it. Shannon Wells, assistant coach and handles recruiting at Ole Miss. We certainly appreciate her time spent here as the first guest for the 2013 season of the ABCA Coaches Corner. Thanks, Shannon. Thanks, guys. All right, Shannon Wells, checking out. We're going to take uh, 30 seconds here a minute cruise around the corner and we're going to come back with the ABC College of Volleyball Weekly. We have uh, Jay and Mike ready to duke it out.
Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute, integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Welcome back to the Net Live here on a Monday, live listening. Hope you're getting us live or getting us via iTunes later in the week to get your fill of volleyball and non-volleyball talk because we have both. Thanks to Shannon Wells for coming on earlier in the show and also to uh, USAV Beach's Dave Williams for giving us a little bit more information to think about in regards to beach volleyball. Moving right along here in the program, we now have another AVCA segment. This one's a little older than two interviews. This one's been going on three three years, I think, now. Strong. ABCA College Volleyball Weekly. And, of course, it's the men this time of year. We bring in our correspondents, Jay Hosick. Hosick. And Mike Sonheimer. Good dudes. Welcome. Gentlemen. And... We, I don't know even know where to start here. I'm going to start. Jay, did you like the idea of the net live drinking game? <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm currently uh, still on jet lag from my trip. I got home last night at 4:30 in the morning, but uh, I did entertain making a stiff little cocktail and getting ready to join you guys. So uh, I am in favor. I want to be a part of it somehow. Let's make it happen right now. Amazing. All right. Let me start, then I'll come in. I said last week that um, nobody would go unbeaten. I didn't realize saying in week one that just only one team would be left unbeaten after week two. And I also said there would be parity, and I didn't realize that everybody would beat everybody else in week two. The other thing is I challenge every listener out there and the hosts and everybody else, has any volleyball team in history ever started with seven straight five-set matches? I can't find anything in my notes that any team has ever played seven straight five-set matches. So I turn to Jay and your expertise, even in juniors, has anybody ever played seven straight five-set matches, like the UCLA no, it, men's volleyball team? You're absolutely right, Tony. That was the topic of conversation, and not only was that the topic of conversation, but at the outrigger, uh, I think there were the first five matches uh, or so went five games, uh, and there were deuce games almost in the fifth game in each one of them. So it was... Um, uh, it was a really, really good tournament. And there was another little tidbit that was going on out there. There was a stat thrown around that the first four matches, there was one side of the court, the visitor side, that no one won a set. And I believe somebody has to drink right now because I said set. Uh, but no You're one won excellent. a game on that side. Yeah, you know, that's how it worked. And so um, that was a stat that was being thrown out as well. In fact, here's one for you guys. Sonia, I'll go one even deeper on the question for anybody out there. We were in the fifth game against Hawaii, and because that stat got thrown around, it was the topic of conversation when the coin flip came, and we started out that (laughs) game or ended the fourth game on the Hawaii home side, which is the side that everybody won. Never have I ever seen this happen. It's always been talked about but never been done. The coin flip happened. We won the toss. We said we received Hawaii said we're switching sides to start out on that side. I've never seen that before, and uh, un- unfortunately for them, we ended up winning the match. They were serving for it at 14-13, and we came back to win 16-14. So it was a great tournament, other- lots of good volleyball. 
The other thing is, how does USC get swept by San Diego and San Diego, then comes back and sweeps UC Irvine, and then UC Irvine, which wipes out Pepperdine 3-0, then Pepperdine comes back and wipes out San Diego 3-0, and then BYU blows a 2-0 lead against Lewis, loses in five, and then sweeps them the next night. So it's just we (laughs) talked about parity. We talked about balance in men's collegiate volleyball, and it's all there. I mean, Stanford had to fight off a bundle of match points to beat UOP at home 19-17 in the fifth, and these are your top teams right now. Yeah. How about the fact you guys mentioned those five set matches? There were twelve five set matches in just top fifteen teams in the matchups they had exactly. last week. Twelve and UCLA. You mentioned there's seven five set matches. They're five and two in those. Which is matches. pretty good. Yeah, and, and Hawaii they were and, and 14, about, 11 in the fifth and blew it. Yeah, that's right. And and talk about being travel weary. You know, we we travel ten hours, eleven hours straight in a plane to go out to Hawaii. Everybody's traveling everywhere to go where UCLA plays, what, three matches at the E-Bar. They play a match the night before they traveled against Northridge, I believe. They fly out right. to Hawaii. They play three matches in Hawaii. They travel back last night. They've got someone again tomorrow. Long Beach play. tomorrow I mean, night. Yeah, Long right. Beach. So, I mean, they're talking about a travel-weary team. Uh, UCLA right now uh, has got to be the number one ticket for that. That's That's just an insane travel schedule. Yeah, it's just wild. I mean, it's wild out there. It's it's fun. It's wild. And what it's going to mean is that any team can be another team on a given night, and it doesn't really matter where it is. I mean, we, Kelly Tennant was talking about USC might be a year away, and I'm thinking, hey, lost San Diego, maybe she's right. And they come back and, and wipe out Irvine. I mean, I was I was just in shock to beat Irvine 3-0 on Irvine's home court, and it wasn't that close. Hey, yep. Mike, what yep. do the coaching changes have to do with some of this stuff? What changes? Coaching changes. I mean, you, you change head coaches, you still have good programs, you still have good head coaches, but everybody can't be on the same page after just a couple of months. I think it's, I mean, we go back to the four and a half scholarships. There's not as many international players that are filling rosters, and I think that the the game itself, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's become a simpler game in terms of how it's executed, and it's really who can execute on what night, and a lot of it has to do with matchups. I mean, Jay's a coach and understands, I think, a lot has to do is that certain teams have better pin hitters, certain teams have better ball control, and, I mean, we even saw like Northridge, I mean, I saw internationally at the Olympics, Kevin, you saw the same thing. Northridge one of the first teams now that's subbing out liberos. They have one as a passing libero and one's a digging libero. Yeah, so definitely uh, the international game being copied here. Uh, rankings just in, although sure. you could rank three or four teams. Did Stanford make one? Is the only unbeaten team? Nope. The rankings, I think, I put it Irvine one. With a four and one record, stays at number one. Stanford moves up from <laughs> number two, despite undefeated. BYU, Pepperdine, UCLA, Penn State, Southern Cal, UC Santa Barbara, Long Beach State, and there it is, Geeter, Cal State, Northridge, number 10. Ohio State. Perfect, because because Irvine, Irvine's at BYU Friday night, and that should be the match of the week. Absolutely, that should be the match of the week. And for those of you out there that are listening, BYU TV uh, does an outstanding job of they streaming those job. matches. It's high quality. The, the announcers, eh, not so much a big fan of, but you know what? They've got people doing it, and that's all that matters. You can mute it if you're not a big fan, and you can have uh, a few frosty ones while you're watching it. Well, I think if you're yeah, watching... Yeah, UCLA broadcast now are on high stream and with a much better announcing career, so I agree. <laughs> In fact, well, if you Stanford, that one will be the good one to watch on Friday. Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, it's it's just it's just fun. I mean, if you're if you're a volleyball fan, this is fun because you can go in there and you're not just going to get three games, more like three sets. You're going to get a longer match and a chance to really watch and some quality players and some players are emerging on different teams. And I think it's just it's a lot of fun and it's going to make the NCAs of May second and two and four at UCLA that much more competitive because if a Lewis team or Loyola Chicago Ohio State comes in, Penn State because no one else is going to beat the East over Penn State, they're going to have a definite shot at beating the West Coast teams in that semifinal match. I think it's going to be really fun this year. Mike, By the way, according, according to Sandy, or according to somebody on the chat room, because Sandy talked up Penn State, uh, somebody has to drink. I'm just, I'm just pointing that out. As <laughs> <laughs> long as you're buying, May, May, May 1st looks very good for me, Jay. I'm free that night. I got you, Sandy. I got it. I'll, oh, it's going to be great. I can't wait. Hey, somebody talked about thinking? Lewis. Uh, not, not Lewis, I'm sorry. Somebody talked about uh, IPFW uh, going down in four to St. Francis, and Arnie Ball having a conniption breaks the clipboard, and then there's a 20-minute debate argument over a subbing, uh, a sub that happened. Does anybody know anything about that? Have you heard about that, Sandy? I don't think he has. I don't think he has. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's it's life in volleyball. It's it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun out there, and uh, it just again it's it's just so competitive. It just makes it it makes it just so much better. I just think I think it's I think parity is a good thing in a sport like men's volleyball as the teams go along and thinking your team's got a chance. And when you get to the postseason playoffs, doesn't matter which conference, you're gonna think your team has a chance. I don't know if you guys are aware of this. I know Mike is, but three two is a loss for the television crew. Why is that a loss for the television crew? Because we could have got our time frame zero. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I hate Don't make that. your deadlines and the spo- extra sponsors gives and everything like that. I mean, and we did a gymnastics meet Saturday. They had a two hour thing. We did an hour forty five. So they we got off the air early. So baby volleyball <laughs> will just speed it up. Terrible attitude for Keita, <laughs> <laughs> Those Laker games run long. You know how much longer? You don't get paid extra for staying there later on. You well, know, funny you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned that. I made a statement about. Uh, about going five games, it's making everybody's hourly rate go down way fast. So uh, we need to speed things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, even coaches' salaries go down. You have to keep playing those five. It's not really worth what you guys are getting paid. <laughs> That's right. It's 17. Win by one. Good job. All right. this Tell us about how St. Francis is going to run the table. St. Francis is not going to run the table no one is going to run the table. Even Stanford right now, the only un- major unbeaten outside of St. Francis is not going to run the table. That's right. That's right. By the way, uh, your favorite team, uh, Barney, NJIT, lost to Grand Canyon 3-1 to one this week, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bummed and I'm not seeing some moral support loss from you. I think out of frustration and anger, I went Arnie Ball on it. <laughs> hey, Grand Canyon is the, Grand Canyon's the best volley, men's volleyball team in Arizona. They're, they can beat Woo! Arizona this year. I've got a question. Is San Diego relevant now? Yes, yes. they have. Been, they have been relevant the last they have a few good years. Here's, yeah, they are. They are. Uh, San Diego is no longer the. And I, and I say this with all due respect, but for lack of a better term, they are not the doormat anymore of the NPSF. Kevin Ring has done such a good job down at that school with very little resources, almost zero dollars in terms of being able to give money to kids for coming there. He has he has turned that program into a juggernaut. Of, of the also Rams, and I'm telling you, this year could be the year that San Diego makes the MPSF tournament for the first time, and I would love to see that happen for the Rams. 
I think it'll happen as long as they stay healthy. They've got a good enough veteran team. They play really well together. Kevin's one of the premier coaches right now in the men's college game, and they're, they've got a shot. I was very surprised that Pepperdine blew them out the way Pepperdine did. When we were yep. just talking earlier about Santa Barbara, and San Diego doesn't have too different of a vibe down there. I mean, you're in La Jolla. Great They've school. got a great school, great arena, yeah. a little yeah. uh, like a sports bar right next to their arena there. So the remake uh, is awesome. Yeah, exactly. So the, the fans and yeah. the students alike can, you know, pregame it up a bit. There's a sports bar by the San Diego arena. I had no idea about that. Oh, Jay Slack. Hey, I have a question. <laughs> San Diego, though. Penn State's got to take a trip to San Diego when they come out here now. Oh, it's Tritons, but then I saw somebody put out a press release that didn't have Tritons on it. They called them something else, and I wonder if that was a typo or if they changed their mascot. No. Let's say Tim got Santa Cruz and became Banana Slug Jr. No. Give us a couple of matches, and then Mike, give us a couple of matches. All right. Um, my one's coming up. Lewis is coming to town to play us this week, and uh, we'll see how both battle-weary and, and travel-weary teams are going to perform. I'm at Grand Canyon at FISCON this week. I'm, I'm seeing the Matadors. Uh, they went over Santa Barbara last week, but Grand Canyon's winning some matches here. I'd like to see what happens at that one. I got Loyola at George Mason. That's going to be an interesting match. And Loyola also comes to town to play us. Those are the ones that I'm going to be watching, uh, at least out this way. But uh, I, be, I believe the, uh, the UC Irvine-BYU is probably the match of the week that I'm going to be watching on TV. Yeah, I think that one, and then Stanford at USC, which will be on the Pac-12 network on Friday at 6 o'clock. That'll be a great match. That's the one you're Barney? That's the one. That's the one you want to watch, Stanford at USC. Barney's now the number one play-by-play voice in men's college volleyball. Awesome. Congratulations on that. By the way, kudos to Pac-12 TV for hosting, I believe, it's eight or 12 Sunday matches this year uh, on TV. Yeah, eight matches, and if, if you can make it to a direct TV deal, it'd probably be 12 to 14. Yeah. yeah. And so... And kudos to UOP, Stanford, and UCLA for live-streaming their matches. I believe Pepperdine's doing it as well. It's just really great to see that these schools are finally figuring out that, you know, they may not be able to get the butts in the stands for one night, but they can get viewership, and that's a good thing. They need to archive that stuff, too, so I can watch it and be prepared. That's the other thing that you yeah. have guys aren't archiving anything for people to watch. It needs to be available. It's hard, it's hard to archive the, the streaming video. It just doesn't – right now the technology isn't quite there, but it's easy to archive the audio. So you can always go back and listen to us, Kevin. We'll give you a great report. All right. Baby steps, Kevin. Baby steps. Baby steps. Gentlemen, we're thank get, you. We're getting there. We appreciate it. Your information, as always, was great, and your presentation was even better. <laughs> get some uh, sleep, Jay. Back to drinking. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much. That was Mike and Jay with the ABCA College Volleyball Weekly. Interesting how you're sitting over there now, and now you're the number one voice in the sport of volleyball. Well, you know what they said about And UCSD, I'm over here. Right? And I used to be you. Now I'm nothing. UCSD, they said it was the king of the also-rans. Is that what being the number one voice in men's volleyball is? It's kind of like the tallest hey. midget. <laughs> the tallest midget. Yeah. I enjoyed that title for the six minutes that I had it. it Thanks great. for giving it away. I look forward to working no, on Time No, I wish I had it back. You, you, you were, you were just you better, and you got it. Whenever you move from Time Warner, I'll look forward to sliding into that spot, too. <laughs> uh, that's funny stuff. Oh, man. All right. That's funny stuff. No, thanks. It's yeah. mm. a good gig over there. <laughs> Looks good. Not bad at all. I don't even know, Jeremy. i got to find the other Between big game and big shot. All right. We saw Terry nice having big game and big shot. And big game. Big show. Don't talk about the big unit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> big unit, big douche. That's 
what he is. Okay. Just not cool. All right, let's take a quick break, Jeremy. Just give us 30 seconds or so. Turn it around. We'll be right back with Terry Pettit. Bring the action. When you have us in the club, you got to turn it up. you got to turn it up. you got to turn it up. When we open the club, all eyes on us. All eyes on us. All eyes on us. See the boys in the club. They're watching us. They're watching us. They're watching us. Everybody in the club. All eyes on us. All eyes on us. All eyes on us. I wanna scream and shout and let it all out. And scream and shout and let it out. We say no. Bring the action. Rock and roll. Everybody let's lose control. All the bottom, we let it go. Going fast, we ain't going slow. No, no, hey, yo. Hear the beat, now let's hit the flow. Drink it up and then drink some more. Let's let it blow, blow, blow. Hey, yo, rock it out, rock it out. If you know what we talking about, burn it up and burn down the house. Hey, yo, turn it up and don't turn it down. Here we go, we gon' shake the ground. Cause everywhere that we go, we bring the action. When you have us in the club, you gotta check, turn it up. You gotta check, turn it up. You gotta check, turn it up. When we up in the club, all eyes on us. Oh, I've seen Jeremy bringing the beat. Toby Torch has been passed. Is this all about Reed Pretty right here? This is a Reed Pretty request. I remember Reed. There you go, Reed Pretty. You may remember him from such such films as the 2004 Olympics. Is someone on? Can Jeremy and I have a quick conversation? Someone is on. Can't hear me. You, oh. can, you can have a quick conversation afterwards. I'm, I have to leave. You don't have to go yet. Okay. This guy's had 23 seasons as head coach. And he had 21 conference championships. I think that's an okay record. He was there at the dawn of women's volleyball. He built the Nebraska Corn Huskers into a volleyball program that was a national power, and it continues to be so today under the tutelage of John Cook. We've had him on here before. He's written extensively about the sport and not afraid to give an opinion. He's got a new coaching DVD out as well as some informed opinions about this past season and the results in the ever-growing world of women's college. Please welcome to the Net Live once again, Terry Pettit. Coach. Hello, guys. How many people still call you coach now? Well, that's fine. People address you that way typically, or are you, are you Terry in most cases? Um, you know, I'd say probably more people call me coach. Um but I, you know, I'm just I'm comfortable with anything um, about anywhere, but on the golf course. People don't call me coach on the golf course. Ah, there you go. Well, coach, uh, you you won your first national championship in 1995, or Nebraska's first NCAA championship in 1995 by defeating Texas. Watch Texas win it this year. 
I know you had uh, some opinions about the direction of women's volleyball. It appears to just be upward and onward with giving crowds and, and media attention. But what did what did you see? Well, I think you're right. I, I but having said that, I think it's um, I think it's going in all kinds of directions. Um, I thought there were several. Uh, the lady that was on before, the assistant from Mississippi State, used the word outliers. Um, I saw several outliers at the uh, at the national championships, and Texas was one. Um, in some ways, Texas reminded me of Alabama in the um, in the national championship football game. Mm. Um, and it was hard to come away from that that game and and uh, not see the level of athlete that Alabama had compared to. Um, to Notre Dame, and Jared Elliott has done a, a, a great job of building a culture, um, creating a culture at the University of Texas to to attract and recruit and train and develop extraordinary black athletes. And I, I just think that um, um, to ignore that or to not acknowledge that is is um, is foolish. Um, a lot of other a lot of other schools would like to recruit the athletes that he has, and and he had he had four uh, exceptional black athletes in the starting lineup who were recruited by a lot of schools, but but for one reason or another, Texas has has done a great job in welcoming those athletes and creating an environment where they feel comfortable and where they've been well trained. So that would be the that would be the first outlier that I that I see. Because um, other than Penn State, I can't think of any other program that is, uh, is is consistently attracting that level of athlete. Yeah, Texas seems to be a program that is adopting that mantra. They're going to attract the best athletes and then figure they can train them to play volleyball rather than needing the work to be done before the athlete arrives. Well, they, they get some that are already trained, too, but... Um, uh, you know, and, and some of this may be uh, attributed to his his associate head coach Salima Rockwell, who played at at Penn State. But I think you have to give Jarrett credit for keeping Salima there when every every job that opens, every head coaching job in the country, the AD approaches her about becoming their head coach. And so, uh, I think Jarrett deserves credit for being able to keep somebody like that in his program. Um, but I, you know, that Bailey Webster was not the Bailey Webster that they recruited four years ago. Uh, she had a she had a pretty erratic arm swing when she went there, and uh, toward the end of this last season, she probably was the dominant player in college volleyball. So you said that was one outlier you've seen. Have you seen others? Well, yeah, I thought I thought I think Oregon's an outlier. Um, you know when. They obviously have some good talent. They had an exceptional setter, and uh, and Bergson is a very uh, a very good outside hitter. But when you step back and compare their talent with um, traditional powers like Stanford and Texas and Penn State, and so forth, it, to me it's the it's the type of talent. Had Jim not run the system he ran, might be a team battling for an, an NCAA berth as opposed to a team that's in the Final Four and finishing second in the Pac-10 Conference. And uh, I think he has he has an understanding of volleyball that's different than other people. And I, I, on really two counts, one, I think he understands that you can run an offense with a quick tempo, a 
very quick tempo, and you really don't increase the, air, the the percentage of unforced errors. And there's a lot of coaches out there that think that the faster the the tempo is, the the more chance for error. And the, the example I always use: if you go in the backyard and play catch with your kid, you don't throw the ball 50 feet in the air and and hope they catch it. You you throw the ball with just a slight arc, and the same is true with attacking. That consistent tempo is probably more important than consistent location. So that's one thing he's doing that at a level that I don't see other coaches doing. I see it in the men's game. I don't see it in the women's game. Um, the second thing he's doing I think is even more remarkable, and that is he's he's collaborative with his players in that uh, in each rotation a different person will um, call their set before the ball is served. And in the in the six two rotations it's the right side player and the in the five one rotations it's the middle. Then as the ball's in the air, the other player's audible off that. There's a lot of reasons not to run that system. And really that's a system that I that I first talked about or, or was introduced to me probably twenty five years thirty years ago from Mary Jo Pepler in that it's hard enough to get one person to understand what you're doing, let alone six. But what it does do, it it makes players take more responsibility so that um, it's not just a coach uh, calling in plays or a setter that has been given a game plan, but every player on the team needs to understand how they can be most effective in every rotation. And it takes a lot of courage to do that because initially it's easier to direct players. But if you can do it, over time, I think your players have a better understanding of the game. Terry, you mentioned uh, not only the increased athletic prowess by some of the players out there in the women's game, but also compared it a bit to the to the men's game in terms of the speed, um, I would say some of the power and, and also the athleticism. Uh, you know, we saw it a little bit in the Olympics with, with Hugh taking on um, the women's team and, and now maybe some of the stuff that Jarrett's doing at Texas. What do you think about that strategy that previously perhaps the men's and the women's game were coached differently? Are they more the same, more of the same now, or is there still a difference well, I, I I still think there's there are differences, you know, and I've heard I've heard Carl McGowan talk about this, and and Carl's you know Carl's point of view is that there's no difference, and he'll talk about uh, women's golfers. Well, that that's just flatly not true with women's golfers. Their anatomy is different. Their swing plane is different. They they finish different. Um, blocking is different, I think, with women than it is with men, unless you get a certain size. Uh, person, um, I, I think there are a lot of things that are the same, and the fundamentals are are basically the same. But I, I think both mentally and physically, you have to make different adjustments when you're coaching. And I have not talked directly with Hugh about this, but I, I've seen some comments that he made that when he first took over the women's team, um, he wasn't. He, I don't know if prepared is the word, but uh, he, he had to make some adjustments on, on how he approached um, getting women to do what he wanted them to do. Um, I think it was Shannon Wells was talking about relationship. Women are much more likely to be re- relationship-oriented than men. 
and um, therefore, um, you know, Anson Dorrance talks about this all the time. You can call a guy out in front of other guys. Um, you better think twice about calling out a woman in front of other women, uh, whether it's praise or or something negative. You're better off doing that um, individually in an, in an individual meeting. So those dynamics are different. I think where the men's game has progressed uh, over the women's game is, is in, the te- in the tempo of the offense. And I think Penn State benefited from may have benefited, I haven't talked with Russ about this, but may have benefited from having a men's team on campus and watching the tempo of the outside sets in the men's game. The, the, there are a lot of women's teams that are, are just are not setting the ball, in my opinion, at the tempo that they, they should be setting it. They could be setting it. Um, um, Oregon set the ball so fast in the semifinal against Penn State that when they were out of system, the block still wasn't organized. And and the reason it wasn't organized is that usually when you're out of system and the setter takes the ball 25 feet off the net, you can go out there at about two-thirds speed, and so you, you take your time getting out there, you get organized, and you get set up. But the ball was leaving a, a plum's hand so quickly, and the tempo was so fast, that their block wasn't there, and it's 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 something uh, I think Texas had a little bit of an advantage there in that their players and the coaching staff could actually visually watch that semifinal match. Um, telling their players somebody's going to set the ball faster doesn't do much. You you physically have to see it, but I, I think it's a way that Oregon, where Jim and his staff took a team with. Um, was certainly better than average talent and became a, a team that competed for a national championship. Certainly in my mind, Elena Bergsma would not have been Pac-10 player of the year had they run any other offense. Coach, you see it in a lot of sports now, and we saw it over the weekend in the NFL. It used to be you had to have a, a big-time experienced quarterback to win, and now you have a guy like Colin Kaepernick from the 49ers or Russell Wilson you know, these young, young guys who don't have any experience doing very well and have a lot of success. You've also seen that in women's volleyball over the last few years where freshmen and sophomores are, are keys to these national championship teams. Why is that, do you think? Well, I don't um, – yeah, I, I don't, I'd have to think about that, whether that whether I would agree with what you said. I, I certainly would agree with it in certain positions. Um, a, kid, a, a kid that I coached in junior ball was – was a middle on Oregon this year as a freshman. And middle is probably the one position that you can get away with it because it's it's basically a pursuit position and she had uh, a limited offensive role. Um, I, you know, why is it happening? Well, some of it's training, although I, I don't see much, uh, you know, I, I coached club ball two years because my daughter was, I coached her uh, sophomore and junior season, and I, I came away from club volleyball pretty discouraged because what I what I see club volleyball about is is not development. Um, when your focus is uh, a lot of the a lot of the clubs that are highly funded, their focus is um, placing in the top two or three in a regional, and then placing or winning a national championship, 
And so you see a lot of substituting. You see a lot of uh, role-playing. Um, you don't see people that are really developed all the way around. Uh, we were talking about beach volleyball. Jenny Kropp has pushed her way up now that she's one of the top four or five American female volleyball players. And she was she was in the last class to go through NCAA volleyball where you played all the way around. She was a middle blocker at Nebraska from Grand Island, Nebraska. And so she was trained to pass. She was trained to play defense. She was trained to do all the things. Um, but today the idea of a middle blocker in college going on to be successful in beach volleyball, I, I don't think it's going to happen. Not going to happen very much anyway. Um, so the the uh, the methodology methodology in club volleyball, while there are certainly some good things going on um, overall, I I don't I don't see it I don't see it um, I don't see the focus as on development so much as I do other things. Coach, it's great to hear a man with your experience is still so involved with the game today, and I understand you have some new coaching DVDs out. Well, I, I do. I've got one. It's called A Journey to Extraordinary Coaching. And, and um, I've tried to, in the, in the years since I've left coaching in Nebraska, I really have tried to focus on um, developmental things as opposed to um, the traditional things you might hear in a, cl- a coaching clinic. Uh, in other words, you know, whether to run a, a rotation or a perimeter defense or things like that. But um Many coaches are surprised, even at the college level, about what coaching involves. Um, I think the I think the uh, the average person, even the even the person who played collegiately, doesn't understand all the levels that go toward building a program or developing a team um, beyond the two hours that you're out there each day with with the athletes. Whether, it's, whether it involves motivation or whether it involves marketing or whether whether it involves um, enlisting the support of a, an athletic department that seems indifferent to what you're doing. Um, but there are, uh, the, the top-level coaches do. By the time that, you know, uh, if, if you're Mick Haley or if you're Marv Dunphy or, or John Dunning, um, you have developed those things but you didn't necessarily know that those challenges were there when you moved into it. Uh, The lady, uh, uh, Shannon, earlier today talked about recruiting. Well, you don't just just recruit players to your school. Once they're there, you have to recruit them to your vision of how to win and and what your program is about. And um, that takes uh, takes a a lot of energy. Um, So this... The, the DVD is intended to be provocative. It's intended to um, ask questions in, in really four areas, uh, recruiting, uh, relating, requiring, and uh, and then the one that, that coaches get stuck with is, is reevaluating what happened. Um, when you look at... Uh, when you look at programs that were very successful for several years and then all of a sudden just seem like they're in limbo, it's because something's going on there where somebody can't adjust or chooses not to adjust or doesn't recognize it. And um, that's a very tough thing to do. In, in business, you're out of business. Sometimes in in, in volleyball coaching, if, if a school doesn't care that much, you, 
you may you may maintain the position, but you're no longer competing for national championships. So this the DVD that I that I did uh, is is probably um, I think it has application to any sport, not just volleyball, because the you know I, I mentor coaches across the country in a lot of different sports, and the same issues are there. The same issues as to why say Colorado football has failed or Denver hockey wins championships. Um, they're the same things that are happening in volleyball. Coaching DVD is Journey to Extraordinary Coaching. And Coach, where can people pick this DVD up? It sounds like- if they if if they just Google my name, my website will come up and they can get it there. And if it's a if it's a club coach and they want more, just email me and I'll 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 give them a break if they want more than one copy. But I I think it's I read I I actually plugged it in this morning to just uh, sometimes you know you do something and then you come back. Two months later, and you think, "Wow, that wasn't quite what I wanted." But it is. It it's intended to um, it's intended to provoke to get somebody to ask some questions, and uh, um, I think that's that's what coaching development is about. You know, the Shannon was talking about mentoring. Well, a lot of people have mentors, but some don't. Some don't. Some don't have access to. Uh, a really experienced or um, competent coach in, in their in their area, uh, somebody that cares about them and is probing them and trying to push them to uh, to do some things different. Um, uh, I even think uh, when I think about USA volleyball, I was listening to the gentleman on on uh, on beach volleyball, and uh, you know we all tend to be. Um, Kind of off in our own islands, and uh, 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 I think there's if you have the luxury of working for a university or or working for an organization like USA Volleyball, uh, when I say luxury, um, you don't have a necessarily a always have a um, you're not getting a, a quarterly stock report that's saying you're failing, and you don't have stockholders always knocking at your door demanding that you do better. And uh, and so I think sometimes we can um, we can slide along. Um, I, I, I thought uh, Mr. Williams' you know response kind of kind of spoke to these things. You know, he he was excited about some things and and other things. Um, he he you could tell that he wasn't as enthusiastic about. And I think that's kind of where we're at um, with volleyball in general. Uh, my opinion on on beach volleyball is that it's it's probably easier to identify with two kids in beach volleyball than it is a a team. Um, Somewhat sarcastically, uh, but with some seriousness to it. Um, I wrote an article a couple years ago that uh, the ideal game would be a a team game up until the fifth game, and then and then three people would come out on each side. They'd be all around players. But we're we're kind of legislating the game. I saw the, the most recent changes on taking the ball overhand. Um, every time we do something like that, we are pushing toward more substitutions. We're pushing toward more role playing, and moving away from uh, a game of all around players and. When you do that, I think you make 
beach volleyball more interesting than indoor volleyball because I, I'm I'm just not interested in in seeing platoon volleyball. People go out and you've got your front row players and your back row players and. 15 years from now, maybe you'll let a wild animal loose out on one side of the court or something. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. I don't think we've ever brought that up. So, thank you. That's good. All right, Coach, thanks very much for spending your time with us. The DVD is Journey to Extraordinary Coaching from Terry Pettit, and we appreciate you building some bridges between those islands that coaches do have a tendency to stand on. Well, or... I want to share one thing that popped into my mind when, when the gentleman was talking about beach volleyball. I guarantee you if you ran a beach volleyball tournament indoors in Omaha, Nebraska, if you ran it at, the, at the, what used to be the Quest Center there, and they ran the Olympic swimming trials in that same venue. I mean, there's no pool, but they ran it there, and they were sold out every night. If you if you ran beach volleyball indoors, now that takes away from the history of the game. It takes away from visions of uh, infl- inflatable uh, alcohol, uh you know, next to the next to the beach, but you'd have ten thousand people there. Wow. And so he was he was saying that um he was saying that, you know, we can't make enough in an event to really pay for itself. You could, but you would you'd have to be creative and you'd have to go to some places where the um you know, people would support that kind of that kind of thing. But well, Jenny Jenny Crop could put three thousand in the stands by herself. <laughs> well, she's uh, uh, that to me is just an amazing story. I mean, somebody that you know played middle her entire career, and uh, I, I spoke with a gentleman that trains her now with the uh, the U.S. team, and, and um, he said something I thought was very interesting. He said uh, I asked why he thought she was so successful, and and he said because she has the same thing Carrie Walsh has. And I said, well, what, what do you mean? She says, I'm not talking about size or shot or whatever. It's just a tremendous will, a tremendous will that allows her to not let go. And, um, you know, you can't coach that. Very good. Great place to stop, Coach. Thanks again for your insights, and we always enjoy hearing from you about your visions and the world of volleyball. Terry Pettit, thanks. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Right. I tell you, that's another good uh, 25 minutes spent here on this show talking to uh, to Coach Pettit. I think last time we had him, we talked to him for about 45 minutes. Kind of a legend. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah. From the dawn of of collegiate volleyball, uh, Terry Pettit, and and a few interesting things in there. Uh, he said that new coaches don't realize how much work goes into making a successful program. It's not just the two hours in the gym. It's all the other stuff, and, and I think this is that can't be said enough. It is so true about coaches when they come to the program as a former player, even if you're a player at a high level. You're not really cognizant of not the hours, but the issues. Scheduling, practice time, player issues, training issues, injury issues, uh, everything else you have to deal with at the national team level. And then you throw in the NCAA level all the regulations and the levels of administration you have to deal with. Yeah, it's the... It's the stuff outside of the gym. Even the, I mean, I I take it further. I say maybe as a former player, you're you're prepared for the injury stuff, the hours sure. in in the film room, whatever. But the lonely work, the stuff that you got to do in the office to deal with administration, to deal with NC2A uh, stuff that you know I don't I don't know about. And and even further, to start a program from the ground. I've had a couple of friends do that. That is really tough. 
really tough just to create the structure necessary to run and deal with some of those issues is a huge challenge. And for years, at least in in what I understood, when, you know, when I was younger growing up playing volleyball, the, the Nebraska women's program was the it was it in terms of women's collegiate volleyball, especially in the middle of the country. Oh, it's the place to be. Yeah. Yeah, it is the place to be. And anytime you're talking about the programs across the nation, I think Texas has finally risen into that group, but Nebraska, Penn State, Texas is in there, and several schools out here. But Yeah, it was kind of actually funny to hear him give some props down to uh, Texas because I got I to gotta imagine back in the day that Pettit and maybe Mick had some battles in the Big 12, Nebraska and Texas, and, and uh, I don't know, so maybe – Maybe those old habits die. 1995, Nebraska, first championship over Texas. There's one of those battles. He also said mentor network. He said Pip, coaches may not have access to mentors. And we've talked to a lot of coaches on this program before about who they use. John Sprawl in particular takes mentors from outside of the sport. Sure. Hugh McCutcheon talks to mentors outside of the sport, not only in the sport. But he, he has people that he talks to about dealing with some of those things that if you're a volleyball player, a volleyball person, you don't necessarily have a good grasp on how to go about setting up the structures necessary to deal with the administration. Is that a problem? I mean, is, is that a bad thing that, because I, I see where you're going is that we in the volleyball and another problem that the sport of volleyball has is that I can't look up to other coaches maybe as much as I could if I were a basketball coach or, or, or a baseball just not coach as or visible. football coach. Is that a bad thing? If you're a volleyball coach, why not? I mean, if you're a baseball coach, why not go to all the resources you can go to whether it's in your sport or not. Oh, I think that's a great thing. I think it's great to be outside of your sport looking yeah. at different things. There's only so much to be gained, but I, I think it's great. And uh, yeah, the more you can put together, uh, really, it's a mentoring in life because a coach's responsibility is to mentor young people, but at the same time, they have to be personally growing, or there's no way you can mentor others. It's just not going to happen. Can we get something, some sort of social networking site up and going, like you know, coach's book or something like that? There is a. I think it's volleyball 101. Yeah. <laughs> UCLA's Andor has that one going. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So a lot of a lot of good stuff there. Uh, and, and you mentioned Beach. I think Beach could actually be more complicated than Indoor on some levels because when it comes to player relationships, we talked about female athletes and the relationship, and I've heard this from a lot of coaches about the need for the women to just be happy and then they'll play well. Mm-hmm. Guys don't have to be happy to play well. Women, they need to be happy to play well. But on the beach, okay, you only have two athletes, but that relationship between those two athletes goes a lot deeper than it does on a team of 6 to 12 or 15. It's a, it's a lot different thing to have to deal with, and it can either be easier or I could see it being a lot harder. Yeah, well, no, I totally agree. I mean, just a numbers game. You're, you're talking about one relationship because it's between two people as opposed to three to five relationships. But it's a much deeper relationship. Oh, 100%. It has to be because it's you and one other person, and that's yeah. it. If I don't get along with you, I can still get along with the other four people on the court. But right. if it's just one-on-one, and we either get along or don't get along so well, that's it. And I like to mention and the, and the courage to discuss the black athlete. Hey, <laughs> there's not a lot of black athletes. There's a, a bunch in the women's game. Yeah. Almost none in the men's. Yeah. You can think of a handful that have ever been on the national team. Yeah, Dexter I actually... Rogers, Kyle Robinson... I actually uh I saw TMZ last week that you know that 
yes, National Enquirer-like show, and they had stopped the Lewis men's volleyball team at the Grove down here. I think they were down maybe playing in the SC tournament or something. And the question that the TMZ celebrity paparazzi reporter asked is, why aren't there more black guys playing volleyball? And Lewis had one guy on their team. And they all kind of looked at him and asked him. It was kind of funny, but, but it, I mean, it's, it's, out, it's out there. You know, it's, it's absolutely known and, and recognized. <laughs> For some reason, it's not big with young black men on the men's side. It's not big with young black men. It ought to be because the same talents that has everyone pursuing basketball would have you do well in volleyball. There's, there's almost no difference in the raw talent it's necess- that's necessary to be successful at the sport. I just think that there's a it, it maybe I don't know if it's true but there might be a lack of touch with the sport. There might be a lack of interest in the sport, a lack of understanding of the sport. If you play the sport it's it's a girl sport. I mean in in Illinois growing up for me it was a girl sport until yeah. it wasn't, but there's there's that's a lot of big factors involved in getting involved in the sport of volleyball. And it's just not happening for a, a lot of talented young black male athletes. We've seen a lot of talented young black female athletes join the game all the way up to the national team for a long time. Yeah. So interesting uh, and something to watch. I, definitely something that should be discussed. Definitely something that should be talked about. I want to talk about one more thing before we get you out of here, before we get everybody out of here for the day. And that is the impending admission of guilt from Lance Armstrong. Mm. Oprah today, right? Recorded today, supposed to air Thursday. Okay. I... Your feelings <laughs> on this. Well... You're digging deep. I just want to say, duh. <laughs> I mean... And that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Minute Live next week. Uh... There was so much evidence, so many people that came out and said this is what was going on. And not only was it going on for him, but he was responsible for others. I mean, that I, I guess good that you're finally admitting it. How does he rehabilitate himself from this? Because that's what, what I've read is that this is a part of a broader rehabilitation strategy. I went in on this, so I grabbed Gator's There mic. you go. I mean, you're, you've been lying for nearly two decades. At least the better part of 15 years, right? You've been lying, and not only lying, but attacking anyone who spoke the truth. How do you come back from that? The assumption is he's coming back to admit this so he can... Because whatever the organization is that basically stripped all his titles and said he can't compete... In anything like he can't compete. Yeah, USADA. He's banned. Yeah, yeah, he can't even compete like in a New York like marathon. Right. Yeah. So the assumption is he's coming back to admit it, so he will hopefully get reinstated to be able to do stuff like that again at some point. So he point. can play in the rec league. Exactly. So it's also another. <laughs> it's another selfish act. I'm sorry I did this. Please let me run your marathon. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he was trying to be a triathlete, or was a triathlete, I guess. He was a triathlete before he was a cyclist. Oh, and he was getting back to his roots. And then he. Figured out, you know, early on, I can be a chemistry gnarly, class. I can be a gnarly, maybe I can be a really gnarly cyclist or a pretty good triathlete. Well, or or well, I just want to know how for so long he could deny it. And of course, there's rumors. There's rumors about everybody. But if he 
vehemently. I mean, go out like Kevin said, go after people deny it, not just no, I didn't do it. But also too, like how many organizations did he have to had to be on the same page? All his teammates had to be on the same page with him. Yeah. The sponsors had to be on the same page with him. He gave two hundred thousand dollars to the International Cycling Union. He offered. This is the rumor. A quarter of a million dollars to USADA. So how do all those people keep their mouths shut for that long, too? I just don't get it. I I might sit on some secrets for 200 k I mean, little secrets. There's also something <laughs> that I heard that uh, I heard that some of some of the samples that that were retested of his from years ago, prior to perhaps a certain drug or or PED or whatever you want to call it, being illegal. Is is now illegal, and they went back and tested some of it, and it was quote the quote that I heard when it was was it was flaming positive, not just <laughs> didn't, didn't just test positive, tested flaming positive. Well, well and you're, you're missing a part there. I think some of those were illegal at the time, but they couldn't test for them. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lance, you forgot about the freezer, <laughs> but yeah, the new technology, freezing. Right. The other thing too, though, is that I hate the argument is like, oh, well, it's illegal now. It wasn't then. It's the same thing with. What happened with McGuire? Some of the stuff that he tested positive for wasn't illegal then, so I don't care. Why is it? A, why, if it wasn't illegal then, do we care? It's still not a good idea. Well, some of it wasn't illegal because you didn't know what it was. If you so could that's take, a funny argument to make. If you could take steroids right now to heal your knee to be able to play on the national team, you would. Or some performance-enhancing drug. If I could take some drug, yeah, you but would it's be, illegal. Yeah, you would be back out there. You know what? A few years ago, I would have said yes. But today, because you're here with me? <laughs> no, but, but it's been such a good I'll years. tell you, there's, there's a couple of reasons. There's a couple of reasons, because I actually have a career now, and I've managed to transition. And that was a long process for me, of as, course. It, as it is for most athletes. Uh, but also, just yesterday, I read an article on the FIVB website about uh, a Greek volleyball player, Samras, died of a brain aneurysm at 42. Mm-hmm. Sam Rass is a guy who got caught using gnarly steroids right when I joined the national team. This is a guy who went from being, you know, six foot six, could jump thirty eight or something, and was pretty good, decent player, to being pretty much the best player in the world because he was now six six, twenty pounds heavier with muscle, could just annihilate the ball and touch over twelve feet. Well, but you're dead at forty two. Now we don't know that those two are linked, but we do have a lot of examples of athletes that did those things that messes with your body chemistry permanently and puts you out pretty, out of the game pretty early, Any, and meaning the game of life. Anything you abuse. Not the one with pink and blue little guys in the cars. Anything you abuse is not going to be good for your body. All of these drugs we're talking about right now are going to be in some way, shape, or form legal within 10 years. I don't think so. I do. I don't we think can so. Fight. We, I'll mark your showdown, and in 10 years, when you and I aren't friends, I will call you up and say... I was right. You were wrong. Are we on the path to non-friendship? <laughs> no, already? no. I just figured in 10 just years, wondered. I'll be such a big time. Oh, you're time. that sensitive? No, I'll be such a big oh. time. Oh, you're leaving us all behind? Oh, for sure. Wow. Dustin, <laughs> Dustin's coming with me. Hey, what kudos, ride his kudos to you for saying it. I mean, everybody says they won't forget the little people, and they do. No, you're out. At least you for the same. <laughs> you're out. I was reading, like I think it was last night, I was reading a gnarly article about Jason Taylor, who used to play for the Miami I read Dolphins. that same article. I saw that article. And it had nothing to do with like performance-enhancing drugs. No, but the stuff that, syndrome. Yeah. yeah, the stuff that athletes will do just to play. They're like, I don't care. He had to sleep standing up. Mm-hmm. Almost lost his leg. Yeah. Yep. But he's like, fine, chop it off. I'll go play. I don't care. Athletes will do whatever they need to do to compete. 
Yes, and that's why it's funny, and I've said this before on the show, and we've talked about athletes and trying to transition into real life. If you're an accountant and you're really good at being an accountant and it fulfills you, great. You can be an accountant from 20 yeah. to 60 till you're dead, till whenever, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what fulfills you. People somehow have lost connection with the idea that this is who these people are. This is who we are. It's part of their makeup. Right. I need competition. I need to be training. If I don't work out for a few days, I get a little wacky mm-hmm. because I my person needs that. And these people, if you play a, a sport at that level, at that professional level, the elite level, the 0.01% of the human race, not of just your state, your, your country, wherever, your race, the human race, 0.01%. If you play at that level, that's because you were made to do it. Mm-hmm. You did not will yourself to being that good. Your body makeup, psychologically, from the moment you were born, your physical makeup from the moment you were born, was destined to do that thing. So to try and go back against that and fight that and change over to doing something else is not an easy thing to do. Is it is it different for different sports? Because like, what was it last week? The Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, they inducted nobody. Nobody. It was the first time they thought that there was so many people that were so uh, so tainted by the by the PED scandal. But there's always the argument out there. People will say that you know taking a, a compound isn't going to help me hit a baseball. I mean, that's that's, that's an that's idiotic certain, argument. It's a certain argument, but it, it regardless, it's different than when I'm a cyclist, let's say, and all I'm doing is pushing as hard as I can yeah. for as long as I can versus an eye hand. No, no different. Look, if I take no different, because, no different, no different, because yeah, your eye hand doesn't get better. All right, right. you didn't eat a bunch of carrots and you, you can see better. <laughs> right. All right, but your bat speed, your reaction time, the time you yeah. can take to take your eye hand and turn it into a swing, yeah, oh, your absolutely. power at the moment of the swing. Anybody who says that is a fool and hasn't really thought about it, because all that stuff is what steroids do. And you know the difference between. Hitting a ball 325 feet versus hitting a ball 350 feet is the clear. it's 25 feet, and you know what the other difference is? Home run about 100 million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you this, because in my professional opinion, when you get to the pro level, it's entertainment at that point, because it's all business. Sure. You're selling products. Sure. Do you care that these pro athletes are taking performance enhancing drugs? Kevin, I'll, I'll I'll direct that to you, and then I'll ask Dustin. Let me ask Dustin first. No, it, it, it's a tough one because <laughs> because do I care? Yeah, I care because and, and it, it's always a discussion of where do you draw the line? Is it whey protein? Yeah. Is it is it uh, creatine? Is it nandrolone? Where where do you draw the line? Yeah. I, because one is just straight protein. One is an isolation of a furtherly small protein. <laughs> The third one is a steroid, uh, which is another again the isolation of a compound that yeah. you can put in your body and, and become bigger and stronger. Yeah, uh, and people put things in their body all the time, whether it's caffeine or whatever, to make themselves smarter, better, whatever at whatever their thing is. I, I think the issue becomes the shortening of your life to a dramatic extent, and the message that that sends to young athletes and people coming up who are trying to compete. 
that the cost becomes 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years off of your life. And putting that choice to a young person is not a great idea for us culturally long term. Gotcha. I think that's that's where I start to have a problem with it because you can't think when you're 22, you're yeah, not thinking about no. when you're 42. You're not thinking about life after your sport, when your knees are gone, or your mm-hmm. shoulder or whatever. You're not thinking about when you have kids and they have kids and you want to be around to see those kids. And at 42, you're not. That's not happening. Or 52. I mean, it, you just don't have the foresight to make a decision that literally cuts your life perhaps in half. Dustin. Yes. Do you care? Yeah, I care. I, I care uh, flat out. Although I do recognize that maybe it's a bit of my own naivete that I still look at it as competition at the highest level. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I'm not jaded enough yet to look at it as a, a business. Mm-hmm. And that it's entertainment. Um, I look at it as as competition, and I want it to be. In, and that's just a personal thing: is that I want it to be as clean as possible. And I always grew up a huge fan of the Olympics back in the you know in the amateur the amateur time, right? Mm-hmm. So it. I don't know where we are exactly, even with the Olympics and their amateurism. I know it's not as clear cut as it used to be, but. Does that make a difference, I guess? And putting it back to you, does that make it different if the Olympic let's say the Olympics is still an amateur event, then does that make the testing and whatnot different at that level as as it compares to a professional event? Because yeah, for with the Olympics, absolutely. Well, and the thing with baseball is all these writers were so happy that Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved baseball. Yep. And then now they're not voting them into the Hall of Fame. When I guarantee you, every single one of those voters wrote high praise articles about those athletes. So they're like uh, beach volleyball players from uh, five, six years ago. They want all the benefit but none of the negative. Exactly. I just think it's hypocritical that you didn't vote any of those guys in. Um, And then the older guys in baseball who were complaining, they would have done the same thing these guys are doing now. I guarantee it. Just because the times are different. Look, as the human race, we're all living longer. We're bigger, faster, stronger just for the stuff that's in our normal, everyday food. You know what I'm saying? Like, those guys back in the day didn't have those advantages. Right, just just nutrition. Yeah, just, it just yeah, and training and all the things that we know now. So where do you draw the line of performance enhancing? Like Everything's performance enhancing. That's what I'm saying. But the question is, are you altering permanently your physiology? For sure. When you, you put know. a chemical in your body. Yeah. But again, I think it all... It's tough. It's all gray. Yeah, and it's I think tough. it comes back to education, too. Like, somebody said on the message board, like, these athletes aren't being educated what this stuff is actually doing to their bodies, whether that would change their minds or not. a lot not. of people don't even know. Exactly. Whether that would change their mind of taking it or not, I have no idea. But Yeah, that that article, by the way, the Jason Taylor article posted in the message board. So oh, nice. Some of the people weren't fully up to speed on what we were talking about. It's linked. I want to say thanks to Terry Pettit, to Dave Williams, to Shannon Wells for coming on the show, as well as Jay Hosick and Mike Sonheimer for their continued insight into the world of college volleyball. Next week, we have Denise Corlett of Stanford, again, talking about recruiting. We have... Brian Swentney, 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 pardon me. can't read my own writing here. Uh, talking about military outreach, gentleman who uh, who's quite involved with the spread of volleyball through the military. And for those that don't know, that's how volleyball spread around the world, was hmm. through the military and military bases yeah. and soldiers playing Did not know. Uh, throughout the world. One of the like ways in Top Gun. That, that volleyball was expanding. <laughs> exactly. Just like Top Gun. <laughs> We're also working on David Nithin. Uh, UC Irvine, we'd like to have him here on the show, and we're still working on James Lights. You know, if we get an email back one of these times, uh, we'll we've gotten, I've, I've corresponded. I okay. think uh, when he's ready, he'll come on. 
All right, so when he's ready. But we have other people that we need to get. Priscilla Lima, I talked to her. We just need to schedule. You going to get Niffin? Yep, we need to get Niffin. You on that? I can reach out to him. Okay. We're planning ahead in 2013, Kevin. Yeah, we're, here are some of the guests that we're working on. John Spraw, John Kessel, Kelly Sheffield, Marv Dunphy, Doug Beal, Justin Forsett. His season now over. We can talk to him. Running back for the Texans. Bill Ferguson, Kathy DeBoer, and others. Karch, Donald Sun, John Costi, Albert Hammond. The men's uh, national team coach? Oh, wait, <laughs> that's right. We don't, we don't have that yet. I actually right. do have that written down. He may yes. have been mentioned in that group. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what? Great point. It says men's national team head coach. That's all it says. Remember, if you think you've talked to the national team head coach, please let, anything, us, let us know. You yeah. have not talked to anyone. There is a national team head coach. Uh, that is all that we currently have. But that is all we currently have for you today on this Monday on the Net Live. Next week, program note, it is a holiday Monday. We will not be on Monday. We are on Thursday, if I misspoke earlier. January 24th, Thursday, is when we're working on uh, Denise Corlett, Brian, and others. Jeremy won't be here, so the music will suck. But other than that, it will be a good <laughs> program. January 24th, Thursday, is our next show before we go back to Mondays. Thanks for tuning in to the Net Live.